Black is a New Black Podcast, a podcast tailored to and fully engulfed in Black culture in its entirety. There's a new resurgence of Black excellence. There's a new generation of Black individuals that are excelling, beautiful, bold, and proud, and unapologetically Black. This podcast is for us, so vibe with me. So we know this place, for we have glanced more times than we'd like to share into eyes that stare with nothing there behind them but an unfulfilled wish and an unconscious yearning for life, though death rests comfortably beside us at night, their moans are louder. They come to visit the guards at the gate and they stay until morning, torturing their guilt-written insides. The silent cries of the keepers are louder than the booms that come from the guns they use to occupy the space. And we know this place. For we have seen more times than we like to imagine bloated cadavers floating through waters of a city gone savage foraging the land for what can be salvaged but what can be saved when all is lost it happened in august 29 days in we are now five days out of the only place we knew to call house and home few things are certain one we have no food two There are more bodies lying at the roadside than hot plates being distributed or first aid being administered or recognition as a citizen. 14th Amendment X. Refugee. Check. And we know this place. It's ever-changing, yet forever the same. Money and power and greed, the game. They suck and devour the souls of the slain. What a feast for the beast at their table of shame. With napkins round necks to catch the blood that drains from the flesh they chew. It's hell to gain, and we know this place, huh? All too well, dank with the smell of death and doom. It hovers, it smothers, no growth, no room, no pretty, no please, just gray, just gloom, just bond me a hope and it died too soon, just jucking, just jiving, just living, we just fools and we know this place is decked in all its array and splendor. Golden streets with good intentions capture our attention. Gadgets and inventions, pesticide the food supply, flu-like symptoms, diabetic condition, a cancer in the system, held on whole. It's a pistol to the temple. Go run to your churches. Tell them this simple. Good works and good deeds is what equals redemption, but tell Tell me, please, Jesus never mentioned how the churchmen get extensions on freedom while children are being fondled from the altar to the streets, then back to the sanctuaries. It's kind of scary, ain't it, to know that both the prophet and the priest practice deceit, then come to the people and they claim peace, peace. They come to the people and they claim love, love, but where is the peace, huh? Where is the love? Where is that balm in Gilead that can heal? the wounded soul or make the half man whole I swear we know this place uh, because we have vowed before never again to return but here we are
back in the desert, dry mouth and thirsting for waters from heaven. But come, come children, rally round and maybe together we can make a sound that'll shake the trees or rattle the ground, make strong our knees. We's a freedom bound and we know this place. Uh, reclaim your crown, hold on to the prize, never put it down. Be firm in your stance, no break, no bow. Got a fall Forward on mama, make your move now. Forward on baba, make your move now. Forward, dear children, cause freedom is now. All right, so welcome to Black is a New Black podcast. That's the way to open up. <laughs> welcome to Black is a New Black podcast. This is episode one. In this episode, we're going to be talking about police brutality. We have our dear friend, Katura Tops with us. On this episode, we are live in the Zoom feed. So we have some beautiful black people in here that are featured in this session as well. Um, and the poem that you guys just heard is by Sonny Patterson, We Know This Place. So yeah, I wanna, I wanna introduce uh, Katora. I'm gonna unmute the mic. You can unmute your mic. And Brandon, you can, you can unmute. Yeah, I can hear you. Brandon, you can unmute your mic as well. Just to introduce myself, I'm Courtney. I don't know all of you guys that are in this space. I don't know all of you guys that are uh, listening to the audio, but I'm Courtney. I have Brandon with me and I have Katora with me also. And yeah, we're going to get into it. This is going to be a heartfelt conversation. So let's just start. Uh, Katora, I want you to go into who you are and, and everything about yourself. Okay. Uh... <clears throat> Well, I'll just start by saying I'm glad that you convened this, Courtney. I know you guys have been revamping the podcast and going back and forth. Um, and I just think now more than ever, we need a space for Black voices to be elevated. We need a space where we can come together. Uh, I don't think I know half of the people that I'm looking at right now, but it just feels good to be comforted by other Black faces. And, um, yeah, so I appreciate you having me here. I appreciate being um, one of the first guests. That's a very big honor. I really appreciate that. Uh, for y'all who don't know me, my name is Katura Tops. I'm a St. Louis native. I am a civil rights lawyer and activist. I've been focusing specifically on policing reform and policing reform policy strategies um, to re reform com uh, police departments across the country for about five years now. Um, and, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm also a black queer woman. So everything that is happening now, I'm, you know, juggling, filling it both as an individual, as a professional, as a black person, as, you know, someone with black family members, it's just on all fronts. So happy to have this discussion. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, you know, we thank you for coming on. And I know that, you know, you're working overtime right now for sure, with everything that's going on. <laughs> yeah, I got my coffee ready as soon as I hang out with you guys. Just keep pushing through. Yeah, so we appreciate We appreciate that you, you're taking this time out to, to build with us and to familiarize ourselves with, so that we can familiarize ourselves with how we go about handling this, this time that we're in from a legality standpoint. Um, so Katora is only gonna be with us for 30 minutes or so. So we're gonna to try to utilize the most of that time as, as much as we can. And um, we're just gonna get right to it. So you've been working on a law that just passed 
and I want to know more about this. You didn't tell me about it, and I'm glad because now <laughs> I'm learning about it with everyone else, and mm -hmm. I want to know how that benefits us, especially as Black people, um, and what the what the law is or the bill is to begin with. Sure. Um, so I'll just start by saying uh, I'll definitely talk about the victory of getting the bill, uh, getting the passing vote for the bill, but we haven't technically got it fully passed yet. Okay. So the bill that Courtney is referring to is called a bill to repeal 50A. Um, and 50A is just a law that applies in New York State. And it just means that um, every single police officer throughout the entire state is allowed to be basically cloaked in secrecy. Um, the public is not allowed to have access to any disciplinary records, any personnel records, any records of misconduct. Um, and, and it basically it allowed police officers to just sort of all across New York, which we know New York has the largest police department in the country, the NYPD. Um, we know their history of racial targeting, racial profiling, discrimination. We were all around for stop and frisk. We've seen stop and frisk uh, turn into very different ways, even when it was uh, held unconstitutional, they just found different ways to do the same thing. Um, so take that department, think about all the violence that the NYPD has uh, inflicted, and then say, uh, there's a complete blanket secrecy on all of their actions. And so that's basically what we were dealing with. We were dealing with police officers who understood that they would be protected, who understood that they could do literally the most egregious acts. I mean, officers committing sexual assault, officers murdering people in cold blood, planting evidence, falsifying reports, anything you can think of, that's what was happening. And then they would be able to be completely hidden and go right back into our communities and walk amongst us, um, basically hyper creating this danger of having police around us and in our communities because we would have no right to even know. And I'll just note like the severity of this law, um, you know, the courts have started to expand it and it got to the point where the NYPD would basically use this law to withhold literally anything, even slightly connected to an officer's personnel records. So I'm sure you guys remember Marley Graham, the young black boy who police followed him home, got went into his home and shot him dead in front of his grandma. The family fought for years trying to get just basics. I mean, we've seen victims of police brutality fighting to get officers' names. Just, just who, who killed my child, who was the one who abused them for years and, and not being able to get any access. So this is something we've been trying to get repealed for a very long time. Activists, community organizers, lawyers, advocates, family members. I mean, seriously, for years have been fighting and pushing this. And we just finally got it passed uh, Monday, Tuesday, which was like, I mean, it's insane. Like we're, we're still in disbelief because it's just such a been, been such a long hard fight that we literally didn't expect it to happen. Um, and finally, you know, it's just literally the power of the people. That's what it is. And I'm going to probably keep bringing that up the whole time we're talking because that is really what fuels all of this. It's just people getting fed up and saying, we absolutely demand more. We're not going to stand this anymore. And so we saw in the last couple of weeks, a flood of people tweeting directly to the legislators calling them out, naming them, calling them, texting them, like literally everything you can do and standing in front of their homes. Like we see you and we know that you're contributing to this system. You can't tell us, you know, your, your statements, Black Lives Matter don't really mean anything. 
when there's a department that's preying on us, you know, and you're protecting them, you're protecting their secrecy. Right. So, so yeah. So, so now that the bill has been voted on and passed both the New York assembly and the New York Senate, all we have to do is wait for the governor to sign the bill into law. And, you know, because of all the pressure that we've put on him, he literally said on national television, I'm tired of black men dying. If you guys can get this bill to be passed, I'll sign it. So that's what we're waiting on. So it, it is a it is a victory, you know. It is kind of like in these moments you have to make sure you take time to celebrate the victories because this is gonna have very long lasting consequences. I mean, New York had arguably one of the worst police secrecy laws in the country just because of the way it was used. But um, I mean, we have states all across the country that have police secrecy laws. It, and I would encourage folks to just literally just Google like police secrecy law in your own state and see what it is. And there's gonna be varying degrees of it, but nine times out of 10, uh, officers get away with hiding their conduct from the public. And that's sort of the first step of making sure that um, police are able to, to hide their, their actions. Right. Yo, congratulations, Queen. Yeah, thanks. Queen. Yeah, we're hoping that this will be an example to other states and people will start to follow suit. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the goal. If, if New York can do it, right, like hopefully we can get other people to other states to do it. Right. So, you know, that leads me into the next question because, okay, so passing that bill means that they can no longer be anonymous, right? with the misconduct mm -hmm. and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. um, and we know that a lot of these police forces have things in place so that things like this don't happen, but it keeps happening. And- Have things in place so that what doesn't happen? So that the misconduct doesn't happen. You know- um, Oh no, no. <laughs> like, like things like, you know, eight can't wait. Mm -hmm. so that's, that's basically like a reform. And when you, when you look mm -hmm. at that, you see that most states or cities have things in place that's already on the, the quote unquote eight can't wait. So I wanna I wanted to go into you know the next question from your level of expertise. What's the next step as far as like, or what is your opinion on you know reform versus defunding, or completely like approaching it from an abolitionist standpoint and just completely abolishing the you know disbanding police altogether like how do you and you're in from your level of expertise what do you think would be beneficial to black people at this point with where we are with where we stand mm -hmm. well okay before i get to that i'll just say um you know with the a can't wait the best part about it is that it's engaged people and that people are able to literally like look up their city and be like this is my police department let me see your use of force policy and how many of these policies you have that match this A can't wait. That's amazing, that's beautiful. But you started off with the premise that like a lot of police departments have things in place to make sure to prevent the misconduct. That's a complete misconception. I mean, you we have to go into this moment and we, we have to embrace this moment by being brutally honest about the origins of policing, how it's connected directly to slave patrol, how policing was only ever made to surveil and track and target black lives. So, you know, even the best of police departments have may have those types of policies, but we don't often see them being used in practice, right? But your use of force policy, 
I mean, I've seen officers, I've seen police departments that have very thorough use of force policies. Um, and in practice, those really don't matter. Again, going just thinking back to 50A and the fact that like so much secrecy is around officers' conduct. It's not because we can't have a policy on paper that we can put on our website and say, yay, look at us. It's because they know that oftentimes officers don't feel compelled to follow those policies. And we see that over and over and over again. So it's not necessarily like the system is set up to make sure that officers who misconduct, who use excessive force are immediately disciplined, they're rooted out, they're taken away. That's not the system at all. Um, so that's one aspect of it. The second part of your question, which is, you know, basically, what should we be doing? Like, should we be doing eight can't wait or, you know, abolish or defund? Uh, we should be doing all of them. All, I mean, every single one of them. I, I would say that there isn't any moment that, or there isn't any action right now that's too small or that we need to put all of our attention to instead of another, right? It's important to remember that the eight can't wait is not a policy proposal for reforming police departments overall. The eight can't wait is literally just um, a way to have some sort of immediate way to stop police violence. It's saying, I recognize, I mean, even the, the campaign bureau that created eight can't wait, they have a whole campaign listing larger police reforms and things like divestments and, um, you know, stopping broken windows policing. But the eight can't wait is literally saying those things are going to take time. Okay. It's going to take a minute. It's going to take a time for us to be able to change and reform this whole system because we got to get rid of the whole system. So while we do that and while we try to convince America that that needs to happen, here's something we can do right now in this moment to say, please don't kill us tomorrow. If your department has this policy that says, you know, excessive force is, needs to be the very last result or you can't shoot at a car for somebody fleeing then maybe we can use that to stop a murder for the very next day, right? So so I absolutely agree with that. I think it's amazing. I've been seeing people literally call out their police departments and hold them to those policies. You know, I gotta be honest, as someone who works on policing policies and travels all around the country focusing on those, I know that police policies often are very different than how their actions are. And so I don't have a lot of faith in police policies but if it's another measure to hold them to the fire to say, okay, you implemented this and your officer didn't do this. Okay, let's go forward. That's great. And we absolutely should embrace them. Personally, um, I'm more of the abolish mindset <laughs> because I, you just you can't take, you can't take something that was never meant to protect you, right? You can't take something that is deliberately created to have these systems and these structures in place to harm black people and say, let's just clean it up a bit and then it's going to protect us and it's going to serve us. That's just not possible. So what, you know, I personally believe this abolishment, but I understand that that's going to take time as well. I understand that a lot of people aren't on board with that. A lot of black people aren't even on board with that. Right. And so I think the biggest thing is not focusing on, should we completely get rid of the police or should we not get rid of the police instead of focusing on how can we reimagine and redefine what public safety means. Hmm. That's that's what it's gotta come down to. We gotta have people not think safety means, oh my God, call the police. I'm scared something's happening, oh my God, call the police. It's gotta be what's happening. Let's look at the specific situation, right? 
We know that black people, especially black people with mental illnesses, can call the police looking for help and get the complete opposite result. Right. So that that to me says, okay, public safety isn't having a police come when there's someone with a mental illness who needs assistance. That's not public safety. You may be thinking that person's a danger to me and so, oh my God, let me call the police. But in reality, now you put their safety in danger and everybody else's um, because we don't know how a rogue officer is going to respond to that. Right. Whereas we can put more money into social services, mental health services, public health services. And so maybe we have something where, um, you know, you see someone experiencing a mental health breakdown. You call a number where there's experts who actually know how to handle that, who don't show up with guns, don't show up with batons and tasers and pepper spray and handcuffs. Uh, so I, I'll just say quickly that someone had said to me before, and I don't know who, but I'm definitely stealing this from someone, but if you only have a hammer as your tool, then you everything's gonna look like a nail to you because you only think to use that. And police are literally trained to have blinders on to just use violence to respond to situations. I mean, that's just their training. They show up armed with guns and weapons and mace. You're not walking into a situation saying, I'm, I'm here to talk this out when that's what your training is. When your training gets you to kill when you're armed with those weapons. So you see everything completely different. And that's why I think it's important to not just focus on, you know, oh, can we stop officers' force? And can we make sure that they talk to them about de-escalation? It's much bigger than an individual officer's action. It's a systemic thing. And the entire system has to be changed to where Americans don't think, if I have a problem, I need to call the police, but instead think, do I have a whole number of resources that I can look to before I call the police? I mean, police literally should be last absolute resort. And if we keep doing that, and if it becomes less and less important to call the police, then eventually we get to a place where we're like, oh, what do we really need them for? And then the abolishment argument, I think we'll go over a little talk on it does that make sense <laughs> listen talk on it so that makes a lot of sense and I think that you know the first step is like you said um taking somewhat of accountability and knowing what your police force is implementing and I think mm-hmm. like you said it speaks to the eight can't wait how you you know just finding out what your police force has in place and what they don't have in place and trying to you know just kind of like put the fire under them to get certain things in place for the moment. Mm-hmm. Also, defunding right now mm-hmm. is also mm-hmm. another way on how we can get to the next step of abolishing a system that was built to oppress us. So, you know, so we're not going to keep you long. We know you got work to do. So, you know, <laughs> the third question, <laughs> where do we go from here? Because, you know, there are people that are doing the work. There are people that are, you know, out there. You're out there. There's people like you that are out there. There's people that are activists that are out there as well, you know, doing the, the, the their due diligence to try to um, completely annihilate the system of oppression, right? And it's not working. It's not working. It, it's, it, it seems like it's just picking up even more. We're getting met with brute force. And even with protesting peacefully, we see now that the police are literally showing us why we have a problem with them. So they're literally helping us so that we can record them and, and everything that they're doing. But where do we go from here? We're in a we're in a pivotal moment, right? It's it's still a moment. How do we turn that moment into a movement? Like as as far as me, Courtney, someone who does not do your line of work, you know, 
where do we go from here? What's next? What's the next step in your opinion? Well, that is a very loaded question. I'm so sorry. Um, (laughs) But no, I I think it's a very important one. But I want to just, and not to be correcting your language, but I think it's important to say we are in a movement right now. Like, this isn't a moment. Um, You know, we, we did see this in 2014 with Mike Brown. We saw people rise up. We saw protests all over. We saw national attention on police violence. And, you know, looking back, right now we're able to say okay we all got worked up we all pushed we all demand i don't really feel like everything changed right that's what that's what a a lot of people are saying to me oh my god we didn't feel like things changed and you know i work directly in ferguson and i know that we've been working with their federal consent decree the police department is under federal consent decree and they are required to have federal court monitoring and i agree like sometimes i go to these hearings and it's very disheartening and you're like okay but but this is still happening, okay? We're, we're in court, we're fighting for this, but, but there's still people on the street who are like, yeah, but I can't walk home without getting stopped and searched and arrested for no reason. So it doesn't really matter what's happening there. And so I get that people feel discouraged. Like, I totally feel that. I mean, I had to have a moment, even just doing this work where I'm just like, okay, I, I'm blocking everybody else. I need a moment. Um, but this is big. This time right now is way bigger than anything we've ever seen. And I think that's the biggest point. It's like, it's not saying, how do we take this and turn it into a movement? It's already a movement. The okay. question is like, how do we keep the momentum going? How do we make sure that in a month people aren't like stopping this? Because right now we're seeing way more reforms than we've ever seen, right? Like this has never happened. I think it's a combination of COVID happening and really exposing how racism touches every single area of American life. Like, because of racism, we had less access to healthcare. We have less access to clean water. We have food deserts. We have less access to economic growth. I mean, you literally name it, and it's every single area. And then the results of who was dying from COVID showed that, like, blatantly. It was like no way around it. It was like, okay, so y'all are racist, and now as a direct result, COVID is affecting black people disproportionately. And then so I think COVID, quarantine, people sitting at home, and then the fact that we just got hit with like image after image after image. I mean, it was like Ahmaud Arbery, then Breonna Taylor, then George Floyd, like back to back to back to back. I mean, right. I literally remember being at work and being like, holy shit, like I had to watch myself because it was just like, you know, you had to like take a moment to catch your breath. So I think all of those things combined is something that's like never happened before. We have never had all of these, um, you know, major changes, all of these companies standing up, everybody change, everybody putting forward action. I mean, definitely not everybody, but in a way that I've never seen before. And so I think the biggest thing is like, well, it depends on who you're talking to. <laughs> if you say, how do we keep it going? And you mean, you know, non-black people, my response would be, this is your duty to speak out, like making it clear to everybody who wants to call themselves an ally right now, right? We're seeing a lot of put up a black box and make a statement about George Floyd, but not really followed up with action. My statement would be, we need to see action. We need to see concrete action. We need to see you being a true ally, even when we're not looking. We need to see you being proactive. Um, And there's lists tons of lists of ways that they can do that and I'll I mean I'll make a video about that later and then we can sort of link it up (laughs) but but um you know for black people it's like 
we've been fighting this fight for so long. We know this. We know this in our soul. I mean, these protests aren't our first protests. These aren't our first instances. These aren't our first videos. This isn't the first shocking content. And unfortunately, it won't be the last. So we are tired. And I would say whatever your advocacy looks like for you is what you need to do. Like if, if it's a black person I'm talking to, I'm saying, I get it. Like we've been going through so much and it's traumatic. We've been traumatized in a way that like, it's very unique to us and most other people don't have to deal with that. You don't have to deal with the feeling of what it feels like to constantly see someone that looks like you like brutally beat and murdered and, you know, harmed on video. Like that's, that is a trauma that we don't even think we fully acknowledge. Like mm-hmm. I, I watch these videos all the time and I have to say, like, just step away for a moment. Um, so that's long. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I say all that to say like, the movement is here. The movement is happening. What we can do is just stay as engaged as possible. Realize that we need, this is the moment that companies want to jump on the bandwagon of, you know, touting Black Lives Matter. Great. Let me see your action. I'll go to these boardrooms. Let me see how many of your board members are Black people. Let me see how many of your employees are actually Black. Let me see how many of your, you know, high ranking employees are Black. How much have you donated to Black campaigns? How much have you participated and supported black organizations how many of your um products and your clients are black owned companies you know i this is the time to do that and because racism touches so much of our lives like literally every part there's every area to be able to say like let me let me check you on your racism right it could literally be i mean I, whatever your job is i'm sure there's racism there oh, for sure it, right like i mean your job your life your housing your food like whatever like anything you come in contact with this is the time to hold those people to the fire and say do you support black lives right because if you're not actively fighting against the system if you're not actively trying to speak out against it and do your part to break down whatever privilege you have access to then you are not an ally like if this is not a a great moment this isn't unclear it's you either speak out specifically for black lives and you do the action to break down the system or or you're not supporting the system i agree so um i'm my 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 thing would just be just keep holding these people to the fire hold them accountable follow local uh elections that's where we're gonna get a lot of these trump prosecutors out that's where we're going to get a lot of our mayors switched out, our governors switched out. Like those local folks really make the difference because they determine like how actually your day-to-day life will go, mm-hmm. um, how officers are going to be responded to. And so I think tuning into those elections, making sure we vote, making sure we participate, make sure our voice is heard. Even if it's just, I don't like that so-and-so is doing this at this company and this is a practice that's been happening for a while and they want to, you know, we see all these companies touting that they care about black lives, but then not actually using it in practice, put them on blast, tweet about them. Like do whatever you can to stay active, but still protect your mental health and your peace. Cause we're not going to make it in the long run. If we, if we don't take breaks for ourselves. Torah. <laughs> man, you killed it. I appreciate that, man. That's a, that, that was a loaded question with a loaded answer. Yeah, I know. And I know it was long and I, I apologize y'all for rambling. Um, it's just so much not like that answer didn't even address literally half of it. I will just quickly note that there is um, a new bill that's going to
going to be released through Congress. They're working on it now. It's supposed to be a mass police reform, a sweeping police reform bill. I would encourage everybody to be on the lookout for that bill. Look at it, see what it includes. I mean, right now it's, it's 138 pages and it's got a lot of stuff in it. But I can tell you as someone who's been working with other civil rights organizations and activists, there are certain laws and bills that we try to put in place that would stop this stuff before it even happens, right? Stop these things at the federal level, at the national level that constantly get ignored. And this is exactly the time that exactly what I said, people are holding holding you to the fire. They're holding their legislators. They're saying, okay, you, you said you care about this. Let's, pu let's push these bills through. And so I would encourage folks to like, look at that bill um, I'm going to try to do a video and break down everything in it. And so Courtney, I'll let you know when that's up, but like, look at it. If it's something that you don't like, or you don't think it's affecting uh, mass change and mass systemic change, say something about it, like organize, gather, like literally every single thing that has happened that I've seen happen positive has been black people organizing. And that's just the truth. Like every single time it's been, let's get together, let's have an idea and let's figure out how to implement it. Um, and I know we've been screaming for a while without being listened to, but if they're gonna listen to us now, let's jump on it. I agree. I agree. So what's the name of the bill? It's called, hold on, I wanna say Justice and Policing Act. Yep, it's Justice and Policing Act of 2020. Okay. And I can just, I mean, hit a couple of the highlights that it's trying to do. One of the biggest things is in qualified immunity. I don't know if a lot of people know about that, but it's basically a judge-made law that gives a lot of these officers, it's the reason that a lot of these officers can't be prosecuted because they're viewed as state actors. And so there's no way to prosecute them in their individual capacity. And so they, it would remove qualified immunity, which by far for me is the biggest thing because we can talk about force and all that stuff, um, but officers know how to de-escalate. They know how to, you know, contain themselves if they want to. We've seen it. <laughs> We've seen countless images of police officers peacefully arresting white people who've done the most egregious things. So it's, it, yes, those trainings and those focus on use of force is all helpful. But for me, it's about accountability. It's about accountability and transparency. I want to know exactly what you're doing. I want to be able to see it. I want to be able to hold you accountable as the public. And so that means if an officer does something and it, it's, it's wrong, they should be, they should go to jail. And if enough of them go there, then, you know, then you'll start to stop and think and say, hey, let me, you know, let me police myself. Let me watch myself. And so ending qualified immunity is a huge, huge component of the bill. Um, creating like a national public database for all these officers who've misconducted themselves. I'm sure you guys know that we know all too well that police officers have no sort of national guidelines for how they need to act. Like basically an officer can misconduct himself, get fired from one department and then just go to another one. And nobody would ever know. And because a lot of officers misconduct and disciplinary Some, files are secret. Sometimes they know, they just don't even care. They just hire them Oh, anyway. absolutely, yep, absolutely. But I mean like we don't, like we, we John Q Public, you're in your house, the officer who's walking up and down your street, you have no idea that that officer was fired of from course. a department in another town. Um, for whatever reason, and whatever his violence and his issues were in that area that got him fired, he's now bringing to our communities. So just creating a database around that. Um, and I mean, I could go into more, but I would say, you know, 
I think it's important for people to look at the, the broader issue, focus on the things you want to see, and then push to make sure they're there. Make sure they're implemented. If, you know, look at your police secrecy law in your state, look at your prosecutors, look at your mayor, look at your governor, see what their records are, challenge them. Have you supported this? You have the A can't wait. Are you supporting the uh, 2020 policing reform bill? Because a lot of that stuff we want done at the federal level. So you don't even have to get into whether or not the officer's force was acceptable or not. You know what I mean? Like if we focus on divestment and we focus on um, empowering our communities and social services and economic building, then George Floyd wouldn't have even had to be there trying to use a counterfeit $20, right? If, if we had focused on transparency, then the officer who had 18 complaints against him wouldn't have even been an officer at that moment. Like those are the things we got to get done in the first step so that we don't even get to the moment where we're trying to look on the video and say, did he have a reason for the force? Yes or no. You know what I'm saying? Which is how they end up weaseling out of things anyway. Right. But I'm getting too worked up. <laughs> no, no, thank you. Thank you for, man, thank you. That's all I can say. Um, the of way course. that you came in here, you swooped in here and you just <laughs> snatched wigs and, you know, granted us all of this beautiful knowledge and so that we can, hopefully you guys are taking notes um, and type those notes in the chat for me so we can go back yeah. and our homework. And you, you put out a YouTube video I'm going to be posting that YouTube video um, whenever I get a chance, as soon as I get a chance. And yeah. talking, it's talking about the law that was recently, the bill. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I appreciate the support. You know, uh, I know i got to run because i got a lot to do. But uh, I think you shared my information with this group. So anybody, feel free to reach out anytime. Any questions, concerns, comments? thoughts, even if it's just like, I want this explained more. I'm really trying to understand what people want me to go more in detail about so I can understand what sort of content is going to be the best and most helpful for us right now. So feel free to reach out to me anytime. Best of luck with everything and congratulations, Courtney. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, guys, uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I think I, I think I have some claps for you. I got some claps for you. Hold on. I, some claps. I appreciate the love. I appreciate the support. So, you get some claps. <laughs> Thank you for coming on and and uh, giving us all of that information. And guys, you'll be able to find out more information on Katora once we post her up on um, Instagram. You'll be able to see her Instagram, her Twitter, and her LinkedIn. If you guys are weird and you just need the credentials, we got that too. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Katora, thank you. And you know what? Thank you for all the work that you're doing. You of also deserve to breathe and take those mental breaks. And man, I'm here. Look, I told you, you need that Jamaican platter. I, I got know. I, I know. <laughs> One last night. <laughs> but yes, I, I, hey, I agree. I mean, we work. Well, your work is policing reform, and you are literally being called on every time a policing issue happens. You quickly understand the importance of taking breaks and stepping away. So I, I, I totally feel it, but I do appreciate the support. And yeah, if I, if I'm like, hey, Courtney, listen, I need to step away. I'm gonna hit you up, and okay, <laughs> okay, good. Awesome, I got your back. So yeah, man. All right. Thank you. Bye, guys. Thank Thanks, you. Thank you. Take care. Hey guys, so we held a Zoom meeting on June 11th, which coincided with this episode 
First, I want to say that the Zoom meeting was an experience I didn't expect. To say that it was magical would honestly be an understatement. I'm forever grateful for the people that showed up for us. We held space for y'all, and in return, you guys held space for us. But unfortunately, nothing always goes as planned, and we were unable to retrieve all of the audio from that session, which is a good or bad thing depending on the way your outlook and energy sways. It's good because that was something created in that space for the people within that space, and it remained there. On the contrary, it could be viewed as bad because for everyone unable to attend, unfortunately, you won't be able to live in that moment with us after the fact. But all in all, there's still a silver lining present because we were able to hold on to one of the most pertinent components of that meeting, which was the segment with our friend Katora, which you just heard. So we want to send out our apologies, but moving forward, if you're able to attend the virtual recording of the podcast, I'd highly recommend it. Being able to see Black people and fellowship with Black people is extremely needed and extremely paramount. We'll let you guys know when the next uh, virtual recording of the podcast is at the end of this episode, so please stay tuned for that. Moving forward, with all of that being said, that brings me into my outlook on recording the portion that we're recording right now. The latter half of this episode that we're doing now elicits the importance of, you know, trusting the process and allowing things to flow how they may. To me, it was divine intervention. And I say that because prior to recording this episode on the 11th, and even a little bit before we started to record now, you know, I was a little unsure of how to approach this discussion the brutalization Black people face, especially when we talk about police brutality, to be specific, is a conversation Black people have had since the conception of policing in America. So for myself, and I'm sure Brandon might feel the same, how do we really tackle that in a way that it wasn't tackled before? That's tough. That's definitely a challenge. A good friend of mine, you know, she challenged me to find a purpose or end goal by having this discussion. And honestly, all of the discussions that we plan to have on the podcast, and I won't front, it brought out a level of anxiety because I knew on the podcast, I wanted to talk about certain things or certain aspects of the black experience, but really honing in on the why was difficult initially. And then it happened, yo, divine intervention, the divine stepped in and wielded things in the way that they should go. And that's my honest belief. So what I want you all that are listening to us right now in this moment, what I want you guys to take away from this episode is as long as the system is intact, black lives will be attacked. And I'm going to repeat that. As long as the system is intact, black lives will be attacked. And that quote was a thought that naturally flowed out of my mind while I was posting to my Instagram stories about everything that's going on in the current state that we're in. And now look at where we are. You know, when we recorded back on the 11th, you know, everything that's going on was happening, but there's things that happened after that as well. You know, more black lives are being brutalized. Protesters are still out there, you know, trying to make a change and, you know, things are happening to them. Two black men were found hanging from trees in California. 
Rayshard Brooks went from sleeping in his car in a Wendy's parking lot to being murdered by police in Atlanta. And stories that we didn't even know existed are now resurfacing. One of those stories being yet another black man pleading that he couldn't breathe, only to be met with hearing, I don't care, by the police officer that would end up murdering him. That happened last year in Oklahoma City. And honestly, today, you know, I, I just posted something on another black life, a young black life at that, that was viciously taken from us. And I don't want to butcher her name, but I do want to say her name. And her name is Oluwatoyin. Oluwatoyin. Salau? I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm not sure. But from, um, from Florida, that was um, part of the Black Lives Matter movement. Say her, say her name one more time, King. No, I didn't say her name because, like you, I don't want to butcher it. But I was just saying, like, what state she was from and what she was a part of. Right. I was saying that she was from um, Florida and that she was part of the Black Lives Matter movement. Right. Only 19 years old. You know, needed protection. Didn't receive protection. Um. I believe that she left home because her home wasn't even safe. Was I'm not even going to go into what happened to her. I'm not going to do that, but you know, look look into it, look into it. And it's unfortunate. At the end of the day, she needed our protection. She needed protection from someone and she didn't receive that. 19 years old. That's so young. She had more lives ahead. She had more years ahead of her than she had behind her. And when you think of the work that she did with her short life, she more than likely did more for black people. She more than likely utilized her life in a more effective way for black liberation than many of us. And we we weren't there for her. And that just goes into the dire need for us to be there for each other. We have to be there for each other. We have to show up for each other. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy. So I pray that she gets justice. And you know what? What does that even really mean? There's really, there's really no justice in that. There, no justice can, there, no, nothing can occur that can undo what was done to her or any of us, you know, there is no such thing as justice when it comes down to a life being viciously taken. There's no such thing. Um, I asked Katora on the Zoom, within the Zoom meeting, how do we turn this moment into a movement? And her response that we, her response was that we aren't having a moment, that the movement, that the movement is here. And I was on the fence about that back when she said it. And I don't want to say that I'm completely off of the fence, but I'm moving a little a little bit more closer to that sentiment today. But you know, all in all, America still has an appetite for strange fruit. American soil still longs to be fertilized with our blood, our sweat, our tears, our bones. The moment that I spoke to is realizing this beast we call white supremacy and how it will never be satisfied. Its belly will never be full and its thirst will never be quenched. The movement is starving that motherfucker. 
the movement is to chip away at the system until there's nothing left. So I want to say it again. As long as the system is intact, black lives will be attacked. Um, I this, this latter half of the episode, we're literally going to dissect as much as we can. As much as we literally can. We don't want to hold you guys up too long. But we do want to delve into things the right way. So let's start off from, from square one. What do we mean when we say the quote-unquote system? What does that even mean? And Brendan, I want you to give your definition of that before I give mine. Well, <clears throat> I'll try my best to um, <laughs> surmise <laughs> um, how I feel about it, but I, I just feel like it's a... Um, the system to me is a, a set of rules, a set of laws that on the surface um, offer, offer everyone to, is the foundation for everyone to have a, guide, a set of guidelines of like how to participate in what the United States call a democracy, uh, but uh, behind closed doors. I believe that is a um, a way to um, oppress black people, um, people of minority. Um, I believe that it's a way to ensure that um, white supremacy, white elites um, maintain power and, and money and um, structure in this um, country. So... Yeah. That's how I feel about it. No, for real. You know, when we say the system, what do we mean? We're speaking, like Brandon said, to systematic oppression, things put in place by white supremacy to keep us bound, to keep us powerless. So whether it's the government, the media, entities we may or may not know exist, or various organizations or corporations, they all play a role. They're all pieces to the puzzle. And... We know that our oppression runs deep, locally and globally, whether it's economic, educational, mass imprisonment, health and wellness, housing. I mean, the list goes on and on. And the sad part is all of those things that I just listed break off into their own subdivisions. But to stay focused on the topic at hand, we're going to be speaking to police brutality and how that adds to systematic oppression in order to understand police brutality, though, you have to understand the history of policing in America and how that pertains to black people specifically. I know that during the Zoom meeting, Couture briefly touched on it when she brought up slave patrols. And that speaks more to origins of policing in the South. But what we can't do is leave out the North, which has a slightly different origin and I'm not going to take you down this historical lecture of policing in America. You know, we're going to give you guys enough information so that you can go and research stuff also and learn for yourselves. But to just go into the South, right? Let's start with the South because Couture brought the South up with slave patrols. Um, you know, slave patrols literally were just that. They were low-class white 
Americans who were elected to do the job to retrieve runaway slaves, to keep slaves in line. So that would mean um, hindering gatherings, you know, when they say, you know, slave revolts and things of that nature, they would uh, impede on that. Keep, keep them in line as far as, you know, not just running away, but even having the sentiment of growing some type of strength or opposing anything that was outside of the standard that was that was uh, set for them. So whether that's chasing and re retrieving runaway slaves, preventing slave revolts, and I don't really like that word revolt, but let's just roll with it, or rebellions, I like that better, or even viciously beating and dismembering or murdering slaves that didn't comply to the standards set for them. Um, that was their task. And I want to I want to return back to the word comply. That that word is very important because we still utilize that word today. That word is still being used against that against us today. So slave patrollers were quote unquote everyday white people selected to patrol for a certain amount of time. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb to say that the white people elected to do the job were low class um, individuals that didn't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. But what slave patrolling gave them was superiority over an entire group of people, which was us. It gave them something to stand on. It gave them position and power. It gave them privilege. The act of patrolling quickly shifted from being a task that, that they were elected to do to being a part of their very nature. That level of um, superiority was transferred to all white people. All white people subscribed to it whether it be men, women, and even their children. Uh, they all had a right to impede on the movement of black people. And the crazy thing about it is the discretion was for them to decide on whether or not the treatment we received was justified. If they found slaves outside of a certain realm, if slaves were somewhere at a certain time, if they couldn't identify that they belonged there, if they couldn't show any proof or documentation from their slave masters that they belonged in certain spaces, you know, they were murdered, dismembered, brutalized, you know, it's vicious, it's vicious. And um, that's where it began. And you know, it's, it's like this long history, right? Because then you have the civil war that comes in. And once the Confederacy, once the Confederacy got their wigs pushed back after the civil war ended, the South took no time. So basically, let's just go ahead and say that the civil war was not to slop, not to stop slavery, but to, um, reconstruct it into a different way, into a different manner. The North did not come down and fight the South because they had some type of moral compass and that they didn't want to, um, they didn't believe that the treatment of black people were right or justified. They didn't care, okay? Because the way that black people were treated in the North was vicious and disgusting as well. It was all about power and position, right? So... Once slavery was quote unquote abolished after the Civil War ended and the Confederacy got their, their heads pushed back to the white meat, the South literally took no time to place to put things in place to hinder black people again. So when you think of like the Constitution, 
the 13th Amendment, to be precise, they literally found loopholes within that amendment to re-enslave us. So let's say, okay, slavery is abolished, but in order to kind of get that back, you have to criminalize black people. So that's where the criminalization of black people began. Well, we were always criminalized, right? But that's when you have like that that beginning of mass incarceration of black people. And that literally is so that they can continue to have slaves. And, you know, instead of having quote unquote slave patrollers, because now you have prisons coming into play and now you have farms that are tended by slave, uh, by prisoners and things of that nature. You don't necessarily have the quote unquote plantations like before. So the South is completely like, there's a stark difference between infrastructures when it comes down to the North and the South. The South is like light years behind the North when it comes down to development at this time we're in, what are, what are we in? Are we in the, um, industrialized era? So the South is completely behind, but well, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. I'm sorry. Uh, it wasn't you know, completely the industrial. It was like it wasn't the beginning, beginning, but it was close to the beginning of. Uh, it was like the precursor to the industrial, but um, and that's just to make it more accurate for the listeners. But I know what you're speaking to. You're speaking to like the um, the um, the infrastructure growth of the north. Um, yeah. Yeah, we're like yeah. in the we're like in the mid to late nineteenth century. We're in the late nineteenth century, like I wanna say like eighteen sixties. Like eighteen sixties. Yeah. Eighteen seventies, yeah. eighteen, you know, eighties. And yeah. Um, I also I was trying to let you finish just because I know we didn't want to like, you know, be all over their heads and, and, and give you guys the um the opportunity to go research it, but yeah, we have to speak more value into the sense of like what you was talking about, like the power struggle, because um, that's very important that people understand it. Because you know, it, it directly affects like everything that you're talking about. But like, you know, to to, to just brush over it, people really won't understand the importance of it because these people, like, um. <laughs> I'm gonna just say these people. These people were literally <laughs> fighting over um, money and the tools yeah. to make money, and then um, yeah, and the, the, right no, the to, South was becoming too powerful. Exactly, and it literally right could have broke away and had it. It literally not to cut you off. I'm so sorry. I'm gonna let you get back, but it literally could have broken off into a completely country of like a country of its own, literally. Yeah, and that's. <laughs> And that's the reason why we had the whole Confederacy because they actually believed it too, not understanding that like their growth was they don't they only did not have growth just because they controlled uh the crops of the day, but you know they moved these crops through um through the railroad systems like. It's just hilarious of like how people don't understand the balance of life and just like how greed and power can can blind people to the mm-hmm. point to where like they literally create their own demise. And that's the reason why right. I was saying that this is so important because the same reasons the same reasons that the South was fighting to keep slavery intact, the same reason why 
which is what I was about to go into now. Um, the same reason why South was fighting to have new territories um, make slavery um, legal mm-hmm. was the same reasons why they they, they end up having a decline. <laughs> the reality is, the North was just smarter. Exactly. They they just they just outsmarted the the South. You know what I mean? Because because they they built more infrastructure. The South didn't have infrastructure. Well, that's because the. Well, the South had infrastructures, but it depends on the industry that we're talking about. You know what I mean? Like what we're talking about. They had infrastructure, but not like the North. Like the North had railroad systems. They had like it within that time frame. The North had way more railroad systems. They had way more, um, and that's why I say all of this is important because, like, what you were speaking to um, about, like, how you know um, minorities. and at that time, I'm not. I don't feel like talking about them, but just say it was a lot of minorities, and that's when we get this whole warehouse factory worker um, right. way of life, which goes into like how you were saying how they was treating black people, you know. So even though people were free, even though people were um, supposed to be free, you know, they didn't allow them to unionize. They didn't allow them to. Um, Oh, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that because (laughs) I think that like, nah, because I think that, you know, what you're getting into is more so like the way policing derived in the North, not necessarily. They they did that shit in the South too, but it was more so geared toward like black people in the South. You know what I'm saying? Like, so after the Confederacy would end and, um, slavery was quote unquote abolished. Like I said, the North was just a little bit more smarter. Um, they had a little bit, they had more infrastructure because they literally had their hands in the pockets of, of the Southern leaders. You know what I mean? And the reality is slavery, the, it wasn't meant for slavery to end. It was meant to, how do I put it? That, that was the excuse that they used. You know what I'm saying? Like they use this this fake ass morality to come in and war with the South just so that they can continue to control the the entire narrative. The colonies in the North didn't fuck with the South, and the South felt it, right? But exactly because, like you said, this half head got too powerful. And yeah, the it got way why too I was powerful. Those other things in is because when when the um when the North was, was gaining all the, of this infrastructure that was starting to let them compete, after slavery was abolished, it was a period of time where um, black people excelled. And black people excelled because they were the ones that were part of the South's infrastructure. And then, like you said... Right. They but then, but let's talk about that, though. <laughs> let's talk about they, that, though, because we're leaving out a, a part change the um the circumstances for for black people which goes into what you were saying and that's why i wanted to say that that power part because it was like you know for, for people to truly understand the 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 fight and the, the the battle amongst white people for that power is like again like what you said that's what shifted <laughs> the culture to what we have now yeah, but let's talk horrible. about that. Stay on that. That's Stay what? on that. Let's talk about it. Nah, nah, nah. Let's talk about it. I'm having fun with this conversation right now. So, okay. 
when you when you talk about how black people started to exceed in the south right because they were the 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 crop the croppers they were the farmers they they were the ones that were tending to the lands and things of that nature but we can't leave out one vital part in that there's a vital part that you left out and it it derived, it goes back into the derivative of policing in the south so after the confederacy ends vigilante groups are now allowed to come in and take the place of what slave patrollers once did, right? What that's, that I'm would, sorry, that's what I was setting you up for because I knew you what, was going to narrate yeah, that beautifully. You feel what, me? What, what that, yo, good good looks for the alley oop. What that would, what that, what that would do is these vigilante groups would now then morph into what we now know as the Ku Klux Klan. But hold on to that family. That Ku Klux Klan that we thinking of is not the Ku Klux Klan that they normally always want to show us. We're not talking about the Jim Crow era Ku Klux Klan yet. We're talking. We're still in the eighteen hundreds. What would happen is the the terrorism and the brutalization and the oppression would become so fierce on black people that mm-hmm. the federal government would then have to come in and step in and kind of stomp that out. And that is what Brandon was talking to, where how you had like these, quote unquote, you know, blocks of time where black people were allowed to have a, a a stake on certain things. Other amendments would end up coming out. You know, you would have the, the 14th Amendment that would come out because at that time, you know, the Ku Klux Klan, black people weren't allowed to vote. Black people weren't, weren't allowed to go and come freely as free people. That was completely hindered. The federal government would come in, put it into that. And then once again, the South found another way to reshape the narrative, and then that's when we go into the Jim Crow era, and that's when we have Jim Crow laws put in place, and then that's when we have the re- the reemergence of the Ku Klux Klan. And let me and say then this that too, to, to change to, the to game more, to amplify what you're saying too about the part that we're like, and throughout all of these power shifts and all of these you know periods of of exceeding, they were brutally, brutally. Um, terrorized so it's like right you know their land would be taken from them their, <laughs> their right. crops would be taken from them like it would destroy it would it would people would all would almost dare never be scared to succeed and right. the reason why i'm bringing this back in and to amplify it is because that's when you get this class of black people who um begin to 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 stay with their masters as an employee and live on these, these plantations and these lands in exchange for working food or exchange for, for money in exchange for, for living arrangements. And right. Um, the reason why I had to bring that in is because like people don't know that like this, this lasted until, you know, the, <laughs> for a long time. I want to yeah, say you know what I mean? like, like the 1950s, 70s, right? Like 1960s. Like, yeah, like, like a is... long time. A long time. They call them, <laughs> what do they call them? Like sharecroppers? A long time. Mm-hmm. It would last a long time. That is literally slavery. They were literally making peanuts, literally making nothing, and they were still working on plantations. Literally. That's what black people were doing. And, you know, now we're in the, the, 20, the early 20th century. Jim Crow laws are now put in place. The reemergence of the Ku Klux Klan would come about and start to once again impede on the movement and progression of Black people. Completely, um, 
completely, completely oppressed black people. And the Ku Klux Klan, they literally had this um, infrastructure, like a, a military infrastructure. So you would find like white men between a certain age range, but you would also have older white men in there as well. And it was like a hierarchy. It was like a, you know what I mean? It was levels to it. So you would have you know, powerful leaders or people with wealth within the Ku Klux Klan. You would have the sheriff. You would have, you know, police officers later on in life that would end up being Ku Klux Klan members. And that's how that all came to pass. But then what would happen, because I kind of want to talk about the North too. I don't want to leave the North out because the North is full of shit as well. <laughs> Black people would end up, we're in, remember y'all, we're in, we're talking about the 20th century now. So we're, you know, around 1910s, 20s. We have now the great migration of black people. Black people would literally migrate into the north in droves. Prior to that, when we when we were talking about the 18th century, when we were still in the 1800s, yes, you did have black people in the north. You did have black people in Philadelphia, New York, Boston, um, Chicago, uh, St. Louis, all over the place, right? But the percentage of black people were not anywhere near what it became after the great migration, all right? So when we talk about, now that we're done with the North, I mean the South, the South is, we already talked about where the hell they came from. Now let's talk about the North. The North always had a, a certain infrastructure that was a little bit, you know, um, it, it mimicked Britain, honestly. You know, Philadelphia was always a spot. New York was always something that was being developed. You know what I'm saying? Like these cities, Boston, these places, Chicago, these places were always kind of there, especially when you start talking about like Philadelphia and like New York and shit like that. But, um, the policing in the North literally derived from the concept that Britain put in place. So in the South, it was some vigilante, sweaty ass, low class, white man shit running around. <laughs> you know what I mean? Someone who literally has no stake on society, someone who is in the underbelly of white society. And the North, it was completely different. At that time, Britain implemented a policing system where you now have visualization of police officers in the streets. You have badges, you have uniforms, you have they have gear. And they are literally there to do the the betting, the um, aiding and abetting for whatever political power is there where, wherever they are. So the North implemented that. They they took that doctrine and they implemented it for themselves. So now you have police officers that are patrolling the streets. And the difference between the North and the South, you have a lot of immigration from Europe coming into the North. So you have Irish, you have German, you have Polish, you have um, Italian, you have all these different groups of white people coming and flooding into the North. And th they're literally allowed to be there. Don't let these white people. And I love when white people be like, my forefathers came in, get the fuck out of here. You guys were allowed to come here because they were going to utilize y'all to build up the country. And that's what it was when they, white people were allowed to come here from all of these different European countries to continue to build on the infrastructure of America. And when they got here, they did also, they did receive, um, mistreatment. They did. And some did, some did, some, 
No, no, no. Listen, we're talking about the very, very beginning where we had a clash between first generation, quote unquote, Americans and like Germans, Irish, Italian, you know, the those so, first so generation. Right, so stop right there because that's bro. what I was about. So stop right there because that's what I was about yeah. to get into. And that's why I said yeah. some did because um, going back there, that's why I said that power structure, that power struggle was important because what happens is um, the North started recruiting uh, immigrants that believed in what they believed in and the mm-hmm. South were uh, recruiting immigrants that believed in what they believed in. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, it was a lot of immigrants that were racist when they came in. Of course. <laughs> of course. Be- I mean, but that not that what it is now? When Im- When immigrants come here, no one wants to be black. No one. No one wants to be viewed as the underbelly of society. No one wants to be viewed as the the low one on the totem pole. So as far away from that in proximity as you can get, you're going to fight tooth and nail to have that. And that's literally what happened. Like you in the North, they literally created a hierarchy of white races. So you would have the first generation Anglo-Saxons, you would have the Germans, you would have the Irish, you would have the Polish, you would have the Italians. But the reality is black was always at the bottom of that. And no matter what these white people who talk about their quote unquote forefathers that came here, the one thing that stands true is even if you guys were mistreated, you all took a part in mistreating black people. And that made them feel better about themselves. And then we started to, I guess white people started to realize, yo, there's not many of us when it comes down to like the first generation situation. We're more powerful in numbers. And then that shit's gone. And that that literally is like the derivative of policing in the North, man. The Irish people weren't just, they were a group of people. They, They weren't just coming over here being mistreated. They ended up taking up their own, they ended up taking up their own system and they were policing as well. Italians were policing as well. Polish, the Polish were policing as well. Germans were policing as well. Go watch uh gangs. What is that movie? Gangs of New York. Mm-hmm. Go watch that shit, y'all. If I'm not, you know, I'm not. I'm no historian. I just, you know, I think this shit is cool. Like, we gonna have this. If we're gonna have this conversation. We're just gonna have this conversation. You know so what I mean? I love history, and the reason why I love history is because I got. I be trying to explain to my daughter right now. It's like. If you want to participate in something, if you don't like something, like, um, I'm like, I'm, I have conversations with people. I got this one friend, he's like, bro, you're just an anarchist. And it's not that. It's just, I understand that the system is, it wasn't built for us. But it's the point that I understand that the system isn't right. built for us. And I feel like to understand what's going on and to know why, why we, where we are, you have to be, uh, you have to look in the past. You have to see, um, right. You have to see what occurred and what's going on and what looks similar. And and I was going to save this part because I want to talk. That's the reason why I don't like to be a negative Nancy and talk about being in a moment. But um, because it's starting, to, it is starting to look like a movement. But, you know, so many times I've looked at like countries that countries that underwent that underwent. um revolution and it's like you can't ask for it you can't beg for it you know you have to literally take it it's just one of those things where it's it's evidently proven in history so right um just seeing what's going on and and seeing 
um, the way we usually go about things, you know, we get a little something and then that's enough for us for that moment and we're okay until it happens again. You know what I mean? Right. So, you know what I mean? So. Right. And, you know, and I'm, we'll, we'll, we'll talk on that. We'll, we'll definitely touch on that. The movement versus the moment. You know what I'm saying? I just want to get my, get this thought out just so I can bring it, bring us home on where I'm trying to get to. But now think about what I said about the North and we talking about if, if it makes it easier for y'all, we're in like the gangs in New York times, you know what I'm saying? Black people are there. Black people are like 5% of the population of the North. You know what I'm saying? Um, we're there. Definitely. We're definitely at the bottom. We're definitely still, you know, brutalized. Don't let people tell you anything different. And yo, Brendan, I do want to have that conversation again, the North versus the South, because I feel like sometimes black people lose sight and we get into these discussions where we're trying to prove who had it more worse when it was all fucked up. It just might've been, um, set up a little bit different, but, um, yeah, man, now let's fast forward. Now we're in the 20th century, the early 20th century. Now we're going back into what I was talking about, where we have the great migration of black people who are literally fleeing terrorism in the South. They're fleeing from that and they're in hopes of finding some type of betterment for themselves and, and some type of peace and prosperity in the North. And what they are literally faced with is animosity, hate, um, brutalization oppression they are put into certain sections of these cities that they're driving to and the reality is if you go from if you think from like a percentage standpoint statistically let's say you have five percent originally in the north that shit once the great migration started which would literally go on for decades millions of black people um would end up migrating to the north now you have those numbers climbing so you 5%, 6%, 7%, 8%, 10%. These percentage of black people, these percentages of black people are climbing. And guess what? That same type of treatment that black people faced in the South, they received that same type of treatment. In the North, they didn't have good living conditions. They were um, still being surveillanced. They were still being um, impeded on movement. They were still being oppressed. They The work conditions, and that's what I'm talking to about like the industrial era where now we're getting away from hands-on work, hands-on labor. We're now getting into like machinery of things, people working in factories and things of that nature, you know, the police at that time, you know, they were going in and they were breaking up union, um, uh, union, what do they call that shit? They were calling it the union bust or something like that, where people would strike because of the poor, the piss poor work conditions and the police would go in there and fuck that up. They would go in there and, and bust your head. If you tried to vote a certain way, they would get you to the polls to work, vote a certain way. Um, if, if a white person felt some type of way about a black person moving in on a block that might've been, you know, an area that they once, uh, dwelled in, they would, they would burn and it would be like white mobs in the North. And guess what? The police would show up, the police would show up and would, you know, um, take on the responsibility of protecting the white mob. They wouldn't protect the black citizens in that area. And then, Let's, I'm, I'm just skipping I'm skipping through because I'm just trying to get to a point I'm trying to drive it home but this is when you would have quote unquote slave riot, uh, 
uh, race riots all throughout the North, all throughout the Northern uh, cities, St. Louis, Chicago, Philadelphia, Boston, like you would have slave riot, uh, not slave, why do I keep saying slave? You would have um, race riots all throughout the North because of the mistreatment of white people on black people. And when black people attempted to ask for security from the police, they would not receive that. Oftentimes they would be, um, brutalized by the police even more. So when you have these race riots going on where it literally is like a mob of white people coming into black towns or black uh, sections of cities, burning shit, tearing shit down, killing people, guess what? Black people fought back. Don't let, don't let these people act like we didn't fight back, yo. We, we did. Black people were armed. They had weapons themselves, but the police would come in, this, this arm us, kill us, all of that. And, and allow, and allow white people to kill us too. So when I, when I said the word comply, I'm driving it home to where we are right now. And that's why what Brandon was saying, why he likes history so much, because you can't refute, you can't refute the facts. You can't denounce the facts. You can't denounce what is in place with, when you link up these different constitutional amendments to the, the exact times that they were in. And you can't say that these things have black lives in matter, uh, in mind. Black lives never mattered. Black lives were never in the discussion of any of these different constitutional um, amendments that were put in place. Black people are still not in mind. It was not built for us. It was not for us. It is still not for us. And when I talk about the word comply, when you think about white people outside of the police, right? When you think of white people who call the cops on black people for being in certain spaces, certain places that they deem are outside of the standard that they have for black people, what is the first thing they do? They call the cops and not they're not just calling the cops because they themselves are not the police. White people collectively, whether you were elected to do the task or not, have been given the privilege to police black people, period. There's, there's really no other way to look at it. And all white people, and don't let them get you, don't let them have you messed up. All white people are very cognizant that they have that privilege. All white people are very cognizant that they have that privilege. So when you're at the pool, when you, and you're trying to get into the neighborhood pool and a white man stops you, oh, I don't think you belong here. I want to see your ID. The fact that he feels as though he has that audacity to ask you that is because he does. So I saw what Amanda Seals was saying when she was talking about like apartheid in the in South Africa and all that shit. Like, oh, we got to show our papers. The reality is that is here as well. The reality is they actually got that shit from us. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's the reality. So white people do have they were they are given the right to ask you. Where are you? Who are you? What you know? What are you? All of that. So when you are at an Airbnb and you are in a predominantly white neighborhood, and someone just calls the cops on you because they feel as though you don't belong there. They have a right to do that. Within the system that we live in now, they have a right to do that. And until black people realize that, we're going to continue to be in this like situation of tug and pull. You know what I'm saying? Like They have a right to do that. Because what, what do the cops do when they show up? When a white woman stops a, a, a black man from going into an apartment building that he lives in and pays rent in, or when a white person st 
And quite frankly, they shoot. They right. Shoot the they black they people. either shoot the black people, they, kill they the either black killing people. us, or they are backing up that white person that called them. They're not holding that white person accountable. They're not saying, "Hey, this is not a reason to call us. This is not a threat. That you know, you're you're out of line for that." No, they are backing them up. They are calling in their squad for backup, and they are coming in and they're backing them up, and they're saying, "Hey, you know, I'm sorry that this is going on, but can we see your ID?" <laughs> As of as of late, I I am I am entirely surprised that people are able that black people are able to either get stopped by police, um, questioned by police, and are able to leave alive. At this point, I am entirely surprised. Yeah. At this point, I am. <laughs> it's to the discretion of the person um, that's stopping you, honestly. Literally, like, it's to their discretion. <laughs> Whenever somebody tells me, anytime somebody that's black tells me, they're like, yo, I just got stopped. And I'm like, yo, you made it out of that thing? You know what I mean? Like, yo, <laughs> that's a, that's random now. That's like rare. That's like. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> and I'm not even over exaggerating. Nah, that's this real. Is, like, these these white people, you know, these white people out here, they, you know, they, white people collectively just be bugging, man. I, <laughs> I want to get into this clip, yo. And you're going to laugh when I play it. But it's like, yo, instead of looking at me doing, you know, living my life, man, look at what you doing, man. <laughs> Let me play it real quick. Sit up man, you motherfucking crybabies. Get in line, punk. You should be studying your odds instead of studying me. That's how you lost your first job, punk. Now get in line before you get your little thick ass tossed up. Shit. <laughs> you should have been studying yeah. your odds instead of studying me. White people out here studying us, dog. Straight up. <laughs> Straight up. But let's move on. Um, we got a lot to tackle and we don't want to be here long. Let's talk about um now that we know where the policing comes from and how we know that it's not for the protection of black people, it's literally there to um criminalize you, enslave you, and oppress you. Literally, that's all policing is. Um, let's talk let's talk about reform versus abolition or abolishment. Um on the Zoom on the Zoom meeting, I did ask Katora what she felt about reform and what she felt about abolishing the system altogether and she gave her response. But I remember when we were in the Zoom meeting, one of the homies that pulled up for the uh recording, he was in the section, he was in the chat and he wanted to know basically what um the reform aspect of of what I was talking about, he wanted to know what it was. So when we talk about reform, we're literally talking about the eight can't wait movement, and there's a countering movement called the eight to uh, the eight to abolition. And the homie asked me, "Well, what is what is eight can't wait? You know what I mean?" And let me see. There's actually a website that you can go to and you can read all about it yourself. And it's literally uh, the number eight can't wait dot org. And the eight can't wait. Eight can't wait is literally a campaign to bring forth immediate change to police departments. It's not something that is law or anything like that. But what you can do is you can go on the website, go to eight can't wait dot org and you can look at the different policies that they're talking about and there's eight policies and like Couture said I believe I believe she said you know it the good thing about it is kind of taking 
initiative and taking the responsibility to number one, know what your police departments in your area have implemented and what they don't have implemented and how you should be utilizing that time to put the fire underneath them to implement certain things. And the whole theory is, is if your local police departments have these eight policies in place, and if they're actually doing them, then it will drive down the amount of police killings of black people or marginalized people or citizens altogether. You know what I mean? But when you go on there um, and you look at the different policies, you realize and you and you understand the history of policing, you realize quickly this shit is not even going to be something that they're even going to do, whether they have it implemented or not. So for the purpose of this podcast, I am currently in um, Philadelphia. Brandon is in Dallas. So I'm going to go to Philly. I know off the bat, Philly has um, Philly has seven of the eight policies implemented I do not trust Philly cops at all (laughs) at all so I'm just going to go down to I'm not going to read you guys exactly what these things are go on the website yourselves and familiarize yourselves with it but I'm just going to quickly go over the the eight policies policy number one ban chokeholds and strangleholds two require de-escalation three require warning before shooting Four, require exhaust all alternatives before shooting. Five, duty to intervene. Six, ban shooting at moving vehicles. Seven, require use of force continuum. Eight, require comprehensive reporting. With that eight, that number eight is funny as shit to me because ain't no cop doing that. Um, <laughs> Philly has seven of the eight. The only one that Philly doesn't have is requires comprehensive reporting. I'm going to actually, so basically what that is, is like if a cop has to pull out his firearm for whatever reason, he should be, he or she should be, um, or they, because who knows what they identify as, they should be writing a report as of why they pulled out that firearm, you know, what was the reason, what was the outcome, X, Y, Z. All right, boom. We already know cops are not doing that. Let's go to Dallas. Dallas literally. <laughs> Dallas got like three things in. <laughs> All right, so Dallas has four of the eight implemented, right? The ones that they have is um requires de-escalation. They require exhaust all alternatives before shooting. They have a use of force continuum. And I'm gonna let you guys know what that is. Hold on. Like, what the hell is that? (laughs) And basically is um, a force continuum restricts the most severe types of force to the most extreme situations and creates clear policy restrictions on the use of each police weapon and tactic. So if you don't got to shoot somebody, you shouldn't be shooting them. You know what I mean? If you can tase them, if you could pepper spray them, you know, there's requirements for different weapons or whatever. So... Once again, Dallas has requires de-escalation, requires exhaust all alternatives before shooting, has use of force continuum, and requires comprehensive reporting. But what they don't have implemented is they're not banning chokeholds and strangleholds. (laughs) They're not required to warn you before they shoot your ass. They don't have a duty to intervene. So basically, like if a cop sees something egregious that another cop is causing, they are not required to intervene. (laughs) Well, and 
they and they don't have um, a ban on shooting at moving vehicles. Well, they just passed the the duty to intervene, but I mean, again, like you said about Philly, I mean, if they did all eight, I mean, they really wouldn't give a damn. I mean, they wouldn't give a damn. They wouldn't do anything. And I was trying not to curse, but they wouldn't give a fuck. I mean, both of Gene is literally the example. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, at this point, both of them, yeah, it would take whatever you believe in to come down and intervene himself. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Both them, both them Shem John is definitely, um, uh, an example of like policing in <laughs> at his finest, bro. It's crazy. I still can't believe that. And, and it's sad. It's sad. Um, and the, the other side of things is abolition and what is abolition? What, what is, you know, the whole, goal of that is literally just to abolish, terminate, or to completely um, destroy the system altogether. And I'm not going to even get but in... But replace it. But replace yeah, but replace it. it. a lot of people believe. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a lot of illogical people that believe that, well, then what are we going to do? Or what are we going to do? And they're literally just talking about uh, dismantling um, the ideal of what a police is today. Right. And you know, creating another um, concept of what policing should be. So exactly. abolish, so in layman terms, abolish the bullshit that we have now um, <laughs> with the ideal of creating something better. And I'm for abolish while reforming, if that makes sense. Because <laughs> it's going to take, it's going to take a lot to um, abolish the system that we have, but we can be reforming the shit out of it until the end. Right. And the reality is, like like you said, you know, when when people are just like, oh, well, you know, you can't just get rid of the cops. And like you said, no one's talking about getting rid of them. But statistically, people have done years and years and years of research when it comes to policing in America. And po- the police have literally been deemed ill-equipped to handle certain situations so instead of having them handle all of the situations that they're showing up for redistribute some of that to better and more um meaningful ways of handling things so prime example and i know katora brought it up mental illness you know mental being called for someone who's mentally ill the cops have statistically been proven to not know how to handle those situations effectively so take them off of that you know when you think about defunding and you think about places that literally like baltimore is a perfect example i think like you know when you looked at the numbers of where all of the money is allocated and how much is being sent to certain things i'm just gonna I might not be, I'm not going to be right about every little thing that I'm saying. I'm just going to give you guys like a brief um, example. This is just for an example. The only thing that I'm going to be right about is the amount that the police are getting. So let's just say um, housing is getting 10 million, education, schools are getting um, 12 million, uh, recreational parks are getting, you know, a uh, hundred million or, you know, whatever, whatever. In Baltimore, their police department are getting they're getting 500 million over 500 million dollars allocated to them that is it is literally like leaps and bounds from where all the other money is going you know what i mean and i saw a um 
I saw a post. The post was shared to me. My friend shared a post where there was a an LA-based account that was talking about defunding the police. And they were sharing cities that supposedly successfully defunded their police department or disbanded. No, disband. They they were showing cities that quote unquote effectively disbanded their police departments. And yo, they put Camden, New Jersey on that list. And of course, knowing me, my friend sent it to me and I'm like, yo, that's crazy. If you're from this area, if you're from the tri-state area, specifically like South Jersey and Philly area or Delaware, you know damn well what's up with Camden, New Jersey, yo. So I, I commented on that status and I was like, this post is extremely misleading and misinformative, especially if you don't understand Camden, New Jersey as a whole. And some white chick tried to uh, respond to me, um, getting me to try to explain to her. And of course, I didn't respond to her because I don't teach white people a damn thing. But moving forward, I'm going to tell you why you got You guys have to be real careful with these memes that are going around and with these um, these posts that have kind of like clickbaity, catchphrasey things to capture your attention. Because Camden, New Jersey never quote unquote disbanded their police department in the way that abolitionists are talking about or people who literally just want a better system. That's not what they did. What they did was they reconstructed it. They disbanded it for a specific reason. There was an agenda behind why they wanted to disband the police department or the police force that was in Camden for well over 100 years. I want to say like they were there for over 150 or some odd years. But what they're trying to do is, if you know anything about Camden, Camden is just kind of like a Philly or just not just like a Philly, but it's that industrial quote unquote city that has the pier. They have a waterfront. They are literally trying to bring in wealth, white young wealth to be exact into the city of Camden and Camden is known as one of the most dangerous cities in America the square footage the the square mileage of Camden is so exponential exponentially small and the crime rate is so high it's remarkable right so they're literally gentrifying the hell out of Camden right now so what they did was they realized okay it's not safe here. People don't want to live here. We have to create a space where companies want to come here, where we can rebuild certain things here, bring in attention. We can get young white professionals here to um, bring in their their money, their wealth, um, so that we can uh, increase the taxes. So we realized that the police department that's here, they are getting funding. We're funding. We're going to completely disband them. We're going to completely do away with them. This is around like 2011, 2012. Yo, Brandon, when I say that they completely disbanded the police department, the residents of Camden, New Jersey did not want that. They did not want that. They didn't ask for that. They um, pulled out so many resources from the police department. I think they laid off over a hundred and some odd, uh, police officers. They also pulled out resources from their firefighters as well. And they laid off a lot of firefighters that year. And if I'm not mistaken, it's like 2012, their crime rate shoots up so high 
they end up having the National Guard come in to replace what they took out, right? So now you have a militarized city. And the whole thing is Camden has has had a long history of police officers who are not from the city, do not respect the people of the city, and are, you know, egregious to the people in the city. Um, And that's what it was. So when you do away with the police department, crime shoots up. And what happens is, at that point, Prior to, prior to them laying off all those police officers, I believe there were like 200 and something police officers on the force. They reallocate the funds. They implement a whole new system of policing. Now they increase the numbers so much. So you go from like, and this is just a ballpark number, 250 police officers on a police force to now 400 and something police officers on a police force. They have more technology. They have even more funding. They have more things put in place to surveillance the people of Camden. And when you and they start utilizing these, they allow these statistics or these stats to work against the, the true narrative. So that's why we have to really be careful and you have to really do your due diligence when you start talking about research. Because what they'll make you believe is, Oh, well, you know, when we implemented this new system, crime went down. But the reality is crime went down because they took so much funding out of the city. So now you don't have as many Section 8 houses. You don't have public housing. There's certain areas that are now depleted. You're moving in new people. You're revitalizing certain parts of the city. Now, you you know, you're expanding your campuses. Uh, Rutgers is there. Uh, Camden County College is there. You know, you're expanding on all of that. You're, you, I think the Sixers practice. Um, facility is there now so yeah the crime rates are going going to go down because you're pushing the people out but what they'll make you believe is all of that all of that goes hand in hand you know what I'm saying the the amount of surveillance as far as like cameras are concerned are almost on almost on every they're almost on every block in Camden and like yo it's crazy I was watching something uh from Vice where they were saying how now they're going to try to implement, they have technology where they can um, distinguish if shots are fired, but they're saying that they're trying to implement a new system where they can utilize infrared to, uh, and I forget the other one, infrared and um, some other type of technology where they can literally do a physical stop and frisk on you without ever touching you without you ever knowing or consenting to it. <laughs> don't let these people make it seem like they really care about you. They really don't care about you. The reality is Camden has this new police force in place because they want white people to be there. They want white people to move in there. They're pushing the black people out. They are uh, redesigning the entire city, rezoning the entire city. They're knocking shit down and they're rebuilding it in a, in a, in a space and in a way that black people and marginalized people cannot dwell in those spaces so yeah man like we gotta defunding is really where it's at it's really where it's at you know because the reality is when you reallocate funding and you pour resources into some of these marginalized and low social economic areas 
you already know that when you have more resources, crime just naturally goes down. When you have more jobs, crime naturally goes down. When you have more wealth being spread in these communities, crime naturally goes down. When you have better educational systems, crime naturally goes down. You know what I'm saying? When you have better housing, crime goes down. When you have better um, healthcare facilities and, and just a, a better uh, nature of, of, of health and wellness in these communities, crime goes down. When you stop the reality of food deserts, crime naturally goes down. But the reality is they're not ever going to do that. The only time that they're ever going to pour resources into our communities is, is when they're trying to put a new face in it. So... Yeah, man. Um, shout out to uh, shout out to defunding. Shout out to the black abolitionists who have done years and years and years of great work and great research and um, are on the ass. Shout out to y'all. Moving on. Let's talk about our personal encounters with the police. I know you have some. Because <laughs> I know you shared you shared your your uh you shared some of your experiences in the Zoom meeting, but that you know the people won't be able to hear that. But um, I, I have I have many, but I always choose to um, I always choose to share the worst one to me, um, because um, I, I'm gonna try not to be long winded here, so bear with me if I, I talk a little fast, but. Um, basically my mom, I always say, I always tell people she raised me to be a rebel and, um, she always would like say certain things to me about just life in general. And one of those things she would always talk to me about is like police. And she would just always say, yo, police can do whatever they want to do. Police can do whatever they want to do. And I would be like, you know, me paying attention, you know, I'm a smart kid. I'm just like, no, they got rules, man. They got they have this and they have that, and you tripping, mama. Yeah, no, no, baby. I just, I've seen it. You know, I'm telling you. And she would tell me, and she would tell me, she would tell me. And I'm just like, you know, and at that point, you know, uh, I won't allow people, I won't say people convince me, but, you know, some of the things she would say was just like, yeah, what is lady talking about, you know? And sure enough, <laughs> she's 17 years old, just turned 17. Um, Granted, wrong place, wrong time. I'm I'm always accountable. I won't ever say like, yo, I was coming out of church or some shit like that. But definitely wrong place, definitely wrong time. But uh, unlike um, Billy from Highland Park, um, and again, this is me surmising just for time, um, police put dope on me. And um, I was so infuriated in this moment. I, I was so upset and I was, I was disheartened and I was... Um, angry. I was angry because you know I'm okay with doing time for something I do. I'm okay with consequences for things that I've done. I'm okay with um reaping what I sow. But what I'm not okay with what's been a pet peeve all my life is like being blamed for something I didn't do, and that's always been. A chip on my shoulder that's always been a place of anger and resentment for me is if to ever be blamed for something that I didn't do because I take mine, I raise my hand, I accept anything that I've done, right? But I would not accept things I didn't do. And in that moment, being so young, being so powerless, not truly understanding the system and, and truly not understanding um, 
how they just didn't give a fuck and give a shit. Yeah, and like man. how they could have literally destroyed my life because I was angry, so angry to the point that I didn't even want to go back to school no more and just um Wow. I didn't, I just I wanted to fully commit. You know what I mean? Like, yo, this is what y'all think of me, then like, yo, I'm out here, you feel me? And right. <laughs> you know. Um mm, I say what I believe in saw saw other things for me. And like um now from maturity, um I'm not as angry as I used to be and I made lemonade out of lemons. And I'm a true believer of like when people be like, you know, you, you got to go through certain things. You go through, you go through things for a reason. And I believe that was one of those things for me because it's like, it didn't completely derail my life as, as it could have for other people. But I always bring this up, this story up because, you know, when you get preview to, to other stories, like the Khalif Browder situation and things like that, like, Right. I was right. not as brave as that kid because I was trying to get out of there. And I want to say something that's hilarious to me, but I'm not being hilarious to other people, but I'm explaining this part first. Um, he stood on principle. He stood on the fact that he didn't do it. And with me just trying to get out and just trying not to be locked up for what it, what I felt like would be forever because my mom had an attitude of like if you go to jail don't call me and you know your yeah, ass man. gonna be down there and yeah man so so what I did was I said that I was smoking um was able to um be a part of this deferred program um was able to get that out of my record hopefully you know what I mean and um but on the night that I was going down there my cousin's a police officer. Like, literally the night I got arrested, I run into him like, this is, it, I can't make this up. And I'm so angry and I'm so infuriated with the whole situation that he's like, yo, what are you doing down here? And I was just like, yo, don't talk to me. You one of them. And he's like, yeah. do you want to, do you want me to tell your mom? And I'm like, what the fuck you going to call her for? She's not going to come give me. And I was just, I was so fucking angry. And, he doesn't know this, but like I resented him. I I hated the the badge. I hated the uniform. I hated DPD. Like <laughs> I was yeah, vengeful, <laughs> and um, like people don't understand like how these things can change you. Because from that point on, the way I approach police, the way the 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 attitude, the just the um. the way I would respond to them would be different from that point on. Yeah. Mm. I want to play something. I want to play a clip from, uh, if y'all are hip to it, for Harriet on uh, Instagram and YouTube. This is what she had to say about cops. Hold on one second. I don't really give a fuck if, they're, if not all cops are bad. <laughs> I don't care about not all cops being bad. All cops participate in a racist system, in a system that is structurally meant to cause destruction in our communities. So it doesn't matter to me if you're a good person who chooses to participate in evil. Doesn't matter to me. Straight like that. Don't matter to me either. <laughs> you know what I mean? I have a cousin that's a, that was a police lieutenant. 
not fucking with it. I don't care who you are. You know what I mean? You are part you're a part of the problem. You know what I mean? And I think that there's no black per- I don't know any black person that doesn't have a messed up interaction with a cop. I don't know any black person that doesn't have a crazy run-in or interaction with them. You know what I mean? And you know, man, I've seen them literally show up at my mom's house with AR-15s out. You know what I'm saying? Came out with the SWAT gear, came out with the assault rifles and everything and was literally kicking in her door. Shout out to that door that my mom had at her house at the time. Like, they could not get that door in, dog. <laughs> they could not get that door in. That door, I don't know, that door had the ancestors holding that shit. Yo, yo this is what's crazy, though, just because we talking about it right now, though. But, like, mm-hmm. that just shows you, too, like, how... Well, what I'm about to say shows you, like, how... DPD reacts to situations like that. So DPD, they end up showing it like on Dallas Swide and whatnot. But like they came up with like this vehicle, man, that has like this fucking <laughs> just for the sake of like not knowing what the hell it is, but like yeah. pickaxe crane. Yeah, militarized. They like fuck attached to your door. <laughs> and, militarized. Like, and bag that shit up and like they'll then they take your whole front of your house off with this shit. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy, (laughs) man. It's not even that serious, dog. To them, it is, man. Like when they had the Dallas shooter, you would think the shit. You would think it's some some Afghanistan, war type shit. Bruh, when they had the Dallas shooter that killed all them cops in Dallas that time, they sent the whole robot down there. I was. I know you were down there, and they they rolled up on you. They tried to roll up on you. Um. A few, a few people in the Zoom, actually, a couple of y'all said that y'all were down there and they, you know, the cops were trying to run down on y'all and y'all were like, yo, we trying to get away just like everybody else. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, shit was crazy. Man. Um, <laughs> man, it was a black man. It was a black man that did it. He was, he had, I saw the footage and you know what? Shout out to Worldstar. I know a lot of people talk bad about Worldstar, but in times like these, Worldstar is the only source that has straight off the bat What's going on in the streets? Literally. <laughs> no, we're not sponsored by Worldstar. But literally, when that was going on, I went to Worldstar and I saw like straight up and down footage of like the guy attacking the cops. And he had some crazy Call of Duty moves. Like, he was... he was. <laughs> it, it's sad because the cops literally didn't... They, they couldn't handle him. It was one of him, it was multiple of them, one of him and multiple of them, and they couldn't do nothing with that man. They couldn't do nothing with that man to the point where they sent a robot in to the um, parking garage and blew him up. That's literally how they um, got to him. They sent a robot. So that goes into that vehicle that you were talking about. Like, they have some militarized, high-tech technology that, like, we can't fight against, Joe. <laughs> can't fight against no robot, bro. You can't fight against no R2-D2 pulling up on you and blowing the whole shit up. Like, that's crazy. That's completely crazy. Um, I remember when we had the conversation about both of them, Shim John, and we, we kind of touched on our personal interactions oh, or run-ins just, with uh, police. Just right quick, too. Um, it wasn't the, uh, the parking garage. It was like the, uh, it was like the second floor of El Central... Um, 
It wasn't it was the like a computer garage? lab or some shit like that. A server room. How did he get into El Central? He had kicked the door in. Oh, wow. <laughs> he had shot like the window joints out. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought he was in the parking garage, like right next, right across the street from it. Nah, see, they, they th- couldn't find homie. Because, uh, like you said, you know, he was. They some, said he was in the parking garage. They lied. Some, they lied, bro. He was on some real milit- militant shit, but. Um, he was on some Rambo shit, but they sent that technology in. <laughs> yeah, because what they were trying to say at first, they thought it was the parking garage. Then they thought it was a building. Yeah. Not knowing that homie was. Um, he in was the college. Walking amongst them on the ground level. You know. Wow. Doing the thing that he was doing. You know, and then that's when they come come out with the whole back to blue shit or blue lives matter, man. I unfollowed a lot of people behind that. Cause the reality is, you know, I'm not for murdering anybody, right? I don't think anybody that has like some type of moral compass is in, you know in agreement with murdering or taking a life. But the reality is, based on all of the stuff that they have done to us, what he did does not even touch on all the shit that they have done, what they're currently doing, and what they're going to do. Has not, you know, that, you know, that was like an O.J. Simpson moment for the, for for the, (laughs) that was an O.J. Simpson moment for the kid. But, um, now nah, I remember when we um talked about both of Shem John and we we discussed that that whole situation. We kind of briefly touched on our personal interaction with the interactions with the police. And I talked about this um interaction that I had with the cops. And I've had multiple interactions with the cops, but um this one kind of stood out to me cuz it's so eerie cuz I I can remember how I felt to this day. I was young. I was probably like 19, 20. I was still living at home with my mom and, um, you know, my mom always told me, you'll take the trash out. And I, I never, I listened, but I always did what I wanted to do. Like I always kind of, you know, all right, I'm not going to take the trash out when you tell me I'm going to take the trash out later. So I took the trash out. It was like one o'clock in the morning, dog. I'm taking the fucking trash out <laughs> and I'm out there and it's me and my dog. I had, I had a pit bull at the time. And there's nobody out there, yo. My mom lives in the suburbs. The block is quiet. You know, all you can hear is crickets, man. Lights, the lights in different houses are off. The community is asleep. You know what I mean? The neighborhood is asleep. My mom is asleep. Um, My mom didn't even know I was out there taking the trash out. And out of nowhere, the squad car just pulls up, flashes a light in my face, and he's just like, what are you doing out here? Mind you. I'm t- I'm in the act of taking the fucking trash out, so he knew that why he knew why I was out there, but it really wasn't about why I was out there. It was the reality of him, you know, um, just showing me his his level of power. You know what I mean? And just the the rebel in me just wanted to say, what the fuck does it look like I'm doing taking the fucking trash out, or like not answer him at all and just keep doing what I'm doing? And in that moment. I've always had this, this, I was raised on, you know, honor your, honor your mother and father, children who don't honor their parents, you know, they die young. I always was raised, raised on that. Same here. And I was, I was disobedient in that, in that regard. You know what I'm saying? Like I didn't honor my mother by taking that trash out when I was told to. And that encounter literally could have been the end of me. 
You know what I'm saying? Um, cause he saw me as a, he was treating me like I was a threat. Like I didn't belong there. And my dog is a pit bull. He's already, you know, he's viewed as a threat. I'm a pit bull. I'm viewed as a threat. You know what I'm saying? And in that moment, like, yo, that small voice that tells you to do certain things, y'all, y'all got to really pay attention to that small voice. It's called discernment. It's called God. If you believe in God, it's called, you know, whatever you want to call it, man, I listened to that small voice and I said, you know, officer, thank you for patrolling my community. I'm taking my trash out. I just, you know, thank you. I feel safe. <laughs> <laughs> you got to do what it takes to stay So that I can go home. Like, bro, like, so I could go home. And the reality is my mother owned that land that I was standing on and I didn't feel at home. I was afraid. Like, yo, like, I felt like he could do something to me and nobody would know. Nobody would know that I was there. Nobody would know what happened. It's literally just me and him and my dog. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was so afraid. I was so definitely afraid. And I went back in the house and I just remember that feeling of just not being safe, not feeling safe, you know? And, um, yeah, man, like, and, Yo, later on in life, I'll realize how how we're not safe. Black people always come into this this um this coming of age when you realize the society that you live in. When you realize what your black skin really does mean, all black people come into that coming of age. And black people that act like they don't, they're they're weird. We're not even going to um. There's this actually. This is for this right here is for the black people who act like they don't come into that coming of age, yo. Home chip will activate. <laughs> it only takes a little bit of white brainwash to activate the cool chip in the average Negro. In the average Negro, man, there's there's a lot of coon chips being dispersed, man. There's a lot of activated coon chips, man. So don't let these these people out here act like they don't come into that coming of age, like they don't know what their black skin really represents in this society. Um all right, moving on. Let's talk about the riots, quote unquote, what they're calling, what the media is calling riots, what people are calling riots, um, the protest, you know, let's talk about it. You have, you have a direct experience that you wanted to share with everybody. Oh, um, yes. Um, um, and it, and it's crazy because it is, it wasn't necessarily my experience. It was my daughter's experience, but, um, um, Tired of being cooped up in the house, wanted some air and whatnot, decided to be on the pedestrian bridge, which is actually called the um the Ron Kirk Bridge, which is um named after the first black mayor of Dallas, um, who later ended up being like the ambassador for Obama's um presidency. But um we on the pedestrian bridge, wasn't there many people out or whatnot. Um and um, this is after like a couple of days of um, people protesting, and then of course the the rioters and the looters out. Um, and to make it perfectly clear, you had protesters and you had rioters and looters. And um, on this particular night, um, some protesters marched upon Margaret Hunt Bridge. Mm. Um, as we say in the protest, um, my daughter's like excited. She's looking at it and she's, you know, she's happy to see what's going on. Cause like everybody else, she's been seeing what's going on. Right. And 
like us when we were younger, we paid attention to what was going on. We knew what was going on. And these kids are very in tuned, intuitive. Yeah. And they see what's going on. They have feelings. They have thoughts just like we have. How old and, is your daughter? How old is your daughter? She's 12 now. Okay. And she's looking and she's excited. You can see it. And before that, though, we were already watching like this helicopter. It was like two helicopters in the sky. And again, she took notice of that. We looking at it and she's just like, um, why are they over there? So I was just like, um, it looks like they looking at downtown. It looks like they looking to see who's in the curfew zone because the curfew zone had been in place. Right. And again, let me try to make this as short as possible. So um, I'm disregarding all of these signs that I'm seeing. That's the reason why I started bringing these things up because yeah. I'm like, well, it's in the curfew zone. They, they might be patrolling the curfew zone. They might be looking at this. They might be looking at that. But sure enough, I say the protesters get a third of the way. Um, not even, they didn't even get even half of the way across the Margaret Hunt Bridge. And when I say they was meet, they was met with um, an aggressive amount of police cars, state trooper cars, um, SWAT vehicles. And what I mean by SWAT vehicles, the big black joints. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, helicopters watching the bridge. I mean, you would have thought that um, uh, a terrorist attack had, had happened. Um, yeah, man. And I'm still paying attention at this point, but I can see, you know, my my kid and my girl are are disturbed now, so they're trying to leave. But I'm like, I got to see what's going on because, you know, I have to be a witness. I'm not participating, so I have to see, have to be an eyes, you know what I mean, of what's mm-hmm. going on. And I just start recording. And um, it's hard for me to listen to the video just because you can hear how, Upset I was, well, I couldn't even speak right. But yeah, man, um, I remember being on live when um, you you went live. Yeah, and it was just like it was crazy because you see the the whole first or the first third of the the group of protesters literally get on their knees and hold their hands up, and all you hear is you just you start hearing the firing on the the um the protesters. Did you see the wow. tear gas and? And the reason why I'm bringing these things up, too, is because I'm around it off in the end. <laughs> and so as I'm looking at this and I'm thinking about this, I'm just like, yo, this at the at the worst, this is a ticket or a fine, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> this is like obstructing a bridge. Like, this is um, protesting or marching without a permit. Like, this is... Right. This is something that you talk to somebody about and say, hey, can you please, like, leave this area? Right. Which, again, was way out of the curfew zone at the time, right? They weren't even in the <laughs> curfew zone. Way out of the curfew and zone. I think you were, no you were saying that on the live. You were saying that. They were saying that. And yeah. so, yeah. So, watching this and, like, my daughter, my girl trying to get me to come, but I'm trying to sit. So, you know, she's, like, she's upset. She's crying, basically. And, um... And she's looking at this now again. This is having conversations with her about race relations and police in this country and not trying to um, demonize police in a way that were um, the way that my parent tried to demonize police. You know what I mean? And just, right. you know, give her a, a fair lens because it's okay for us to know what what we go through and the biases that we have, but at least 
you know, meet people with a fair lens, you know what I mean? Even if they won't meet us with a fair lens. But I'm bringing this up to say, like, they take they taking that away by her seeing the aggression, her seeing the <laughs> the countless stories of unknown black people getting shot, f- female, male, <laughs> kids. It's just, it's, how, it's, it's horrendous. So, yeah. um, and she left that moment. And in that moment, she was scared. In that moment, she was crying. But she left that moment wanting to be out there the exact next day. And she asked often when we would be after. But for me, being down there in 2016 and seeing how many times protesters were met with aggression out here. Yeah, it's not safe to have your babies out there. Yeah, it's not safe, um, yeah. But there's kids out there. I've seen kids out there on the front lines. You feel me? And, and, And so I'm glad you said that. So one of the other things that was making her the stride is because you can hear the people screaming. You can hear the people screaming. You can hear people crying. <laughs> like you can, and it's to terrible. be in Dallas, you have to kind of understand like how far the pedestrian bridge is from Margaret Hunt. Like it might look close, but that's a no, good ways around it. And it's like, it is. That's everybody far. was, was fleeing the, the pedestrian bridge, like going trying to get to the cause. Cause this is how hard it, like this is how bad it looked because they didn't want. Everybody they, they were probably afraid moving. that I they mean, were gonna pull up on y'all. Exactly. So like everybody is like like leaving people that was trying to take graduation pictures. Like it was people wow. that were just chilling. It was couples. It was it was crazy. Kids. Everybody just running, abandoning the there. bridge because they're not trying to be caught up in whatever that's going on. Because like again, you can see the aggression. So with everything that I say, they was well out of they was well out of the curfew zone. Yeah. They were, I know we run along. Um, they wasn't using, they wasn't violent. They wasn't, it wasn't aggression from the protesters standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, Cruzo and another judge had already had said that no other protesters should be arrested, detained. So they didn't follow that. Um, it was already said that no other protesters should be charged with anything. But that's why I said reforming doesn't work because they don't follow that. And so then um, Chief Renee, which I used to cape for her because she mm. became the chief um, in a corrupt system that they've been trying to correct. And she was doing things to try to correct it. And she was right. taking a lot of flack from people. And it takes a while to clean it up. But just seeing how she handled the Botham gene, seeing how she mm-hmm. handled the that situation where it's like you blatantly telling stories. Like, right. well, we met with some people and they weren't supposed to go this way, but that wasn't a part of the curfew zone. And even then, if they did not follow instructions, they which, didn't deserve that. Let's admit it. Like, and let's admit it. She knows that it's more than one group of people protesting. So the group of people that you talk to might not have been the group that was on the bridge, which was said. Exactly. So, and then on top of that, you was already told to like not detain, mm-hmm. <laughs> not arrest, not charge and Mm -hmm. so she was going through all these things and so at least three different press conferences she had to come back and renege on a stance that she had um until eventually no protesters were charged no um protesters would have it on their record and things like that so it's just like you know why why do all of that for like (laughs) peaceful protesting but think about the peaceful protesters who Excuse me. Um, there were peaceful protesters. There were kids out there that got hurt. They were shooting at kids, yep. like little kid, like little kids, like babies. Um, 
people were pro you know protesting peacefully and they were met with brute force with these rubber bullets and it's tear gas and there's multiple people who have lost eyes because of it you know like there was i saw that there was a black man who literally lost his eye because he was shot in the face with a rubber bullet and by the way this guy was not even protesting which that that's happened down here quite a few times too where it's like people are being caught up in protests and they wasn't even protesting they was jogging or but like even if the they even if they are caught up in the protest <laughs> yeah no like the like the um essential worker who was leaving the hospital literally in their scrubs leaving work was brutalized was completely head bust open everything and the moment that they saw their badge they they were like oh shit like this is a mistake and they just left but there's no accountability like that person that was brutalized viciously brutalized by the by that mob of police officers can't even account who did that to them you know what i'm saying like you see police officers running people over in their squad cars you know um just it's is like just like the the two young uh black individuals who were viciously pulled from their cars and tased multiple times the young black man they kept the taser in him for hours you know what i mean and they were just trying to go home um a a a black couple a young man he was just trying to you know drive drive away he had his pregnant girlfriend in the car they shot in the car after him screaming on them like yo i got my pregnant girl in here they still opened fire on the car it's just like you know it it's not safe to be out there because whether you're going out there with the intent to be peaceful or not just understanding that you are met with that but not just but not just that right when you look at the quote unquote rioters or people who are rebelling the looters and and all that comes with that yo a lot of times it's not even us that's most times it's not even us that's doing it they're white people that's coming from white places, coming into our communities, ravishing on our communities, destroying our communities, taking from the resources, and leaving. And I want to play this clip real quick that kind of speaks to that. This is this takes place in Harlem. Hold tight, y'all. Mind you, this is a black woman 
surrounded by white people who are not from that area, gentrified or not, because Harlem is extremely gentrified. So gentrified or not, this is a black woman out there by herself talking to white people who are out there completely destroying that part of the community and it's a it's a lengthy clip but I want to play it because like this has been this has been going on in multiple black communities yo hold on white people yeah <laughs> white people may be sick yo now to mind you this woman is 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 in pain man she's in pain man because they're 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 literally just, i'm not gonna play the whole clip because it's is long it's like almost five minutes long but soon as she's like yeah i hope you motherfuckers are registered to vote hold on let me see if she actually talked about it hold on you hear the white people Mm-hmm. For every single person out here protesting, remember, there's three homeless men who rely on that as a charging station. And what? What? Will it even work now? For the sake of what? So you can go back home to your fucking comforts. Sit in your house and think that you did some fucking work today. I'm gonna stop it there. Because that's what's going on. Sitting in your fucking house. You go back home. You come into these communities. And then once it's all said and done, you go back home. And your home is intact. Your home is in place. Meanwhile, marginalized people that live in the city, that live in these 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 areas that you're going in and you're, you're destroying, they have to pick up the pieces. That happened in Philadelphia, yo. That happened here in, here in Philly, in West Philly, on 52nd Street. They went into that part of the city. And I don't know if it was just white people there. It was all types of people there. But what I'm saying is, there was a clip where um, someone said, um, hold on, hold on. So when they say, why do you burn down the community? Why do you burn down your own neighborhood? It's not ours. We don't own anything. We don't own anything. You you heard that right there? You heard that? That clip Mm -hmm. has been going around the internet all around the internet. But even though we might not own everything in our communities, it doesn't mean that we don't need the shit that's there. They're going in and they're fucking up grocery stores. They're going in and they're messing up bodegas. They're going in and they're messing up black businesses. That happened on 52nd Street, man. It was black businesses there. Black, you know, establishments there. 
Black people live there. And even if you might not own it, black babies have to walk over destruction. No corporations are on fucking 52nd Street. You tearing up 52nd Street is not going to make white people listen to your pain. You tearing up where you live is not going to make white people listen to your pain. What it's honestly going to do is make it faster and easier for them to get your black ass out of there. Because they're already trying to revamp your entire community. Yo, we got to wisen up. That video, I understand the sentiment that that sister and that queen is coming from. I get it. But that's not entirely true. We do have people that own things in the community. We do have people who move back into the community to give to the community. It's not all that. Like, what happens when you burn down the... I will will say, I will offer this, because I know I don't want to defute... I mean, refute what you're saying, because I do know what you're speaking to. But what I think she's speaking to is the larger narrative of, like... um, People condemning people that's on the front line doing what they feel like they should do to yeah. be seen. And and as far as in, like when it comes to to black business, again, this is not caping for the people that's the strong. Mm-hmm. Um but I got a personal sentiment about that. But um once people like it's a lot of a lot of people that's an, are not a part of the protests that are doing the riding and losing. Of course. That first. Second, for the people the people that do know that businesses are black-owned or once they find out that businesses are black-owned, like, they don't touch those. Those are off-limits the same. That's not entirely true, though, King. Um, That's not entirely true, though. That's not, you know, because the thing is, a lot of times when it's happening, these black businesses are closed. People are getting, are not there. A lot of times, the protest happens during the day, and then there's a whole nother thing that happens at night beyond the, the, the quote-unquote curfew limits. You know what I'm saying? So you wake up the next day and you go to your establishment, you realize it's been ransacked. You realize it's been, it's been destroyed. I've seen multiple black entrepreneurs, I've seen multiple black businesses take to social media, start GoFundMe initiatives to try to rebuild the things that were destroyed. And a lot of times it's not even, especially if our if our establishments are in places that are quote unquote not the black community, yo, white people are going in there and tearing that shit up too. Cops are going in there and, and tearing that shit up too. To, you I know was, what I mean? It's crazy. And that's what I was talking about. And I was saying as far as in for the black people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Once they um, for one, the, well, let me speak for Dallas. For Dallas, the ones that people knew wasn't black businesses they didn't touch, and the ones that they didn't know, um, again, you know, those was <laughs> white people that was fucking shit up. Yeah, man. Once yeah. black people knew that they was fucked up, again, you know, they contributed to like helping and, and telling people to make sure they stood, they stayed away from the black owned business. So I can speak for Dallas for sure on that end. Like, yeah. That what was going on here. What was going on here is, you know, and I hate to say it that way because you know we do have white listeners, but we were I don't care about, white I don't care about I mean, that. We were protecting black businesses and the yeah. black businesses that were affected by um, mm-hmm. um, large community efforts went into to helping clean up, yeah, raise money and 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 strengthen those businesses back to where they was at. Yeah, I wanted you know to. I, mean? I so wanted to be a part of that I, initiative. I yeah, yeah. Here. You know, I had to work though, but I wanted to go. I wanted to be a part. They had a they had a cleanup on Fifty Second Street, 
you know, I wanted to be a part of that. But my friend, you know, she made a good point. Like, yo, I, I want, because they wanted to go too. She was like, yo, I really want to go, but it's not safe. Because look at what's happening to people who are going out there peacefully. They're showing up there, you know, the cops in the, in the National Guard are showing up there and literally bum rushing the whole situation. I don't feel safe in large groups. That's what the homie said. You know, I don't feel safe in large groups. And I said, yeah, don't go. If you if in your heart and your spirit you don't feel safe about doing it, don't do it. You know what I mean? Um, But I'm not here to condemn anybody that's out there on the front lines doing what they got to do, you know, utilizing their themselves to fight for freedom in the, in the capacity that, that they feel that they can. You know what I mean? I'm not here to condemn anybody doing that. But we got to stop tearing down our own shit. That's not ever going to help us. When when the, they were down there fucking up uh, Center City, Philly, when they were down there on Walnut Street tearing up that shit, going in the Apple Store and all that, listen, that that's where change happens. You got to hit the corporations. You got to hit these corporate. If you're going to do it, like, do it. Really do it. You know what I mean? You tearing down a liquor store is not going... <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Look at what they did in Minneapolis, man. They tore down the... They burnt down the whole police precinct that these cops came from. That's really how you... Ev- Yo, that's how you evoke... Yo, that's how you evoke change. Not tearing down the bodega that, that serves the community in a sense because you know that we have food deserts. Some people don't even have access mm-hmm. to going... To the, some people don't even have access to grocery stores. Sometimes the the bodega or the poppy store is the closest to them in proximity. Those poppy stores, you know, have the EBT functionality. They they accept the welfare, the food stamps, and things of that nature. Sometimes that's the only way people in that community can eat. You going in there and you tearing that shit down. You ransacking it. You and you you pulling all the resources out of it. You have to be mindful of what you're really doing. I'm not here to condemn nobody. I'm here. I'm here to give y'all the larger picture. And you do with that what you may. If you decide to still go out there and do what you're doing, do what you do. But for the black for the black people that are out there tearing shit up, I have a I have a y'all. I don't believe black people are rioting. White people are rioting. There's a difference between a riot and a rebellion. And I gave the the difference on the Zoom recording, Let's and I'm gonna give it, it. I'm gonna give it to y'all too, since y'all weren't there. So a riot is a violent disturbance of the peace by a crowd and rebellion is resistance to authority or control with some conditions. If no peace was in place to begin with, I'm going to repeat that. If no peace was in place to begin with, the disturbance of peace requirement for riot isn't met and the action may be a rebellion instead. If it's aimed at demanding rights, there was no peace to begin with. If I'm out there because you keep fucking killing us, there's no peace to begin with. If I'm out there because of the oppression, there's no peace to begin with. White people can't say the same thing. White people showing up and tearing down a community, tearing up some shit, and then going back into the suburbs, going back to which they came, and their house is intact and their communities are intact, those are rioters. There's peace to begin with for them. They have that level of privilege. For us, it's completely different. So who are we going to call a rioter and who are we going to call going through some civil unrest and, and, and partaking in a rebellion? We're going to call them motherfuckers rioters. We're going to call them thugs. We're going to call them disturbances of peace. 
and we're going to call us tired. We're going to call us angry. We're going to call us emotionally charged. We're going to call us fed the fuck up, and we're going through a civil unrest. And if white people want to show up, pour into black initiatives. If white people want to help out, pour into black businesses. If white people want to show up, yo, give up some of them, give up that privilege. Do away with your privilege. Go down and and, and push for certain things to be passed, certain laws and, and bills and legislations to be passed. If white people want to help, learn about yourselves. Stop trying to learn about black struggle and black issues. Learn about why we even go through that and, and what that means. Without your existence, we don't have struggle. So if white people want to help, for whoever's listening to this, learn about why your mere existence equates our struggle. And do away with that. Break the link. Break the chain. I'm not, like I said, I'm not here to can coddle I, can nobody. I speak into, can I speak into some of that? Because I want to get into Go some Go ahead, y'all. Do your thing. Um, that means when you hear your friend do something, uh, say something racist, do something racist, that means say something. That means when you're in a company meeting and someone says an off-putting joke about someone's um, racial features or um, racial background, that means say something. That means um, doing the things when no one's looking. Um, I was always taught that character is the things that you do when no one's paying attention. Like, you know. The people I consider solid are the people that's solid when no one's looking. So, mm-hmm. you know, police yourselves when no one is looking. You know, <laughs> that there would was be a, a big help as well. There was a black queen that I saw on Instagram where she talked about it, when she talked about white people, quote unquote, standing up for black people and talking to their family members about the the struggle that black people face and, you know, having the discussions around the round table and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? And the reality is white people can't go into that conversation unless white people are really ready to have the real conversation. Because the reality is when the conversation is surrounding around whether or not a black person deserves to die or not, the mere conversation piece is wrong. Y'all need to be asking yourselves, why are you even having that conversation to begin with? Why is this even a conversation? That's what we need to get down to. You you guys need to understand. Man, look, I'm not here to teach white people nothing, bro. I'm sorry. I'm not here to teach them nothing. What I will say is, I want to get into this, this one clip because it, it talks into protest. It talks into rebellion. It talks into... um a movement and how things really changed for black people at that time or so we thought it did change um um substantially but there's still a lot of things that didn't change but let me get into this real quick man everybody talks about the marches and the dogs and the fire hoses but the critical issue there was that for 90 days 300,000 black people and many white people did not buy anything but food or medicine. So the economy had shut down. They had missed a whole quarter of business. And they were anxious to get their businesses moving again. That's 
that goes into, yo, it's beyond protesting. It's beyond marching. It's beyond, you know, the rebellion. It's beyond looting and doing all of that stuff. We have to come together and really make a difference economically. We have to stop throwing all of our change outside of our communities. We have to really hone in and be a collective effort. We have we need a collective effort in this in order to evoke change. You know, money talks, bullshit walks. That's why you see the response of all of these corporations because they realize that there is a movement upon us. We're not there yet. I don't really, that's why I said I'm still kind of on the fence about what Katora said because we're not there yet. But the, but it's on the it's on the horizon. The movement is on the horizon, and they're they're getting a hold of it now. You know what I'm saying? They're getting a hold a hold of it now by coming out saying Black Lives Matter. All of these corporate man, I saw Band Aids has an array of different shades of colors for Band Aids now. <laughs> now y'all got dark brown Band Aids. <laughs> not buying none of that shit. You know what I mean? I'm not buying that shit. I'm, you know, I go on a, I go on a PlayStation. I pull up Call of Duty, and now you got Black Lives Matter plastered all over the place. And you have this new initiative where you're going to try to break down on the racism between it within the uh, gaming community. The gaming community for video gamers is egregious, and it's not going anywhere. Number one, there's not even enough black people in the room when it comes down to uh, development. Okay, we're not even gonna go into that because that's a tangent. But we gotta be, we gotta be mindful. We gotta be vigilant. You, you black people, you black people that are out there, electric sliding and wobbling with the, with the, with the ops. You black people that are allowing with these, the ops, these man. <sighs> man, Negroes with never learn. Ops, man. Let me, let me say it again, man. Hold on, man. Negroes never learn. Come on. <laughs> We're out there electric sliding, boogalooing, shucking and jiving, pop locking and dropping, nay naying, bank head bouncing with the ops. That's what we're doing now, y'all. We're out there doing the, the Colin Kaepernick kneel with the ops. I pay attention to everything, man. I've seen, I've seen. <laughs> Now white people want to do a Colin Kaepernick nil, and we're and we're accepting that. That's what that's what we doing, y'all. White people showing up and and washing washing feet. <laughs> I, yo, I want to know the black people that allowed that to even slide. White people are out there shackled and chained like slaves, <laughs> walking the streets. Saying that they're sorry. There's there's white people that are on their on their hands and knees praying to to the same God that literally obliterated our 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 hope and our faith and 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 asking for forgiveness from black people and then in return black people then kneel also and ask for forgiveness as well from white people man. Negroes never learn. I've seen so much. Y'all are happy with the Black Lives Matter Avenue or whatever that's in D.C., but then realize that the funding is still $19 million going to the police force in D.C. Negroes never learn. Um, D.C. being <laughs> known as the chocolate city ain't shit brown about it. <laughs> Negroes never learn. Come on. Is this literally what we're doing? 
Is this literally what we're doing? The reality is, man, we got to take the respectability politics out of it. Black existence is in threat is is a threat to white supremacy. Black existence, they I'm telling you, they're not trying to get rid of all of us. They're not trying to get rid of all of us. They need us to continue to build on the the capitalistic infrastructures that they wish to uh achieve until they find another group, which is it might be the Latinos or the Latinxes for the people that denounce the O. But listen, man. I'm not here to condemn anybody that's out there at whatever capacity y'all are out there. Just be mindful. Be mindful. Um, what are we getting into? Let's move on. Let's move on. Oh, to the people that, that broke into the Apple stores. <laughs> to the people that broke into the Apple stores, return that shit fast, man. <laughs> return that shit fast. They tracing y'all. They tracking y'all. <laughs> They studying y'all. <laughs> what go for? Sit up in your motherfucking crybaby. Get in line, punk. You sit in line. Instead of studying me. That's how you lost your first job, punk. Now get in line. Get out of there, y'all. Take them damn iPads and them iPhones and them MacBooks back, man. They got they got trackers on them, man. Don't let Apple get you fucked up, make you think that they they on your side. They not on your side, yo. They're not on your side. They giving y'all locations right to the ops. Um, yo, let's talk about, let's move on. Let's talk about the great awakening that's, that's upon us. When we start talking about, you know, the movement being on the horizon. 2020 um, has been hard on a lot of people, yo. 2020, man. But there's some symbolism in that. I'm not going to stay long on this. But if you believe in numerics, if you believe in the power of uh, numerology, there's power in the number. That's the that's the universal law. Numerics is the universal law. So I just I'm not gonna go into it because I want I want you guys to listen to this and take something away from it to you know go and find out on your own. But I I would highly recommend that you guys go back and you look at the numerical value of 2020 and what that really means and how we're upon a whole new age we might be in the beginning stages of that age um we might be still denouncing one age and moving into the new one who knows no one really knows when it comes to um astrologers and things of that nature but the age that i'm talking about y'all is the age of aquarius can I talk to him, dog? Talk to him. We talking about the age of Aquarius, man, and we been up on that. Let me, let me just, let me. I'm gonna play this song, man. Shout out to the Fifth Dimension, black people, knowledgeable, uh, and 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 fully aware of what's going on. Let's let's get into it, man. That age of Aquarius, man. Y'all listen to this and sit tight. We'll be back, y'all.
talk about it, man. Shout out to the Fifth Dimension, man. That song is fire. Um, we might be in the age of Aquarius, or or at least moving towards it, where we start to denounce hardcore things like religion, um, faith in um systems, you know, i.e. the government. You know, um, we move are moving beyond, you know, constraints on the the human mind, the human ability, spirituality, you know, and that's the age of Pisces. I think we getting the fuck up out of there. Or if 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 not. But in order to go from one age to the next age, there is some um struggle. There is some some fight. There are things that are gonna be lost in that. There are lives that are going to be destroyed when you are going into a whole new age because you know the age of Aquarius is like it's associated with with knowledge of self you know spiritual enlightenment uh technology um philanthropy non-conformity rebellion uh humanitarian uh humanitarianism um man astrology just just a higher level of of being, and I think that's that's where we're in. That's that's where we're headed, man. You see a lot of nonconformity going on, and on, on all different aspects, um, from all different walks of life. You know, nonconformity. Well, maybe not all different walks of life, but when it comes down to humans, yeah, nonconformity is where it's at. Which then leads me into the another age that we're in. That that this movement can can become how art music and literature play a, a a vital role in that you know what i'm saying um that's how i've been giving back one of the ways that i've been giving back and i'm not going to tell you guys how you know certain things that i've been doing to um contribute to the movement because i want you guys to do your own contributions I don't want you guys to take from what Brandon and I are doing and try to, you know, adapt that or adopt that for yourselves. This is all about accountability. We are going into the age of self-accountability, self-awareness. So one thing I will say, though, is I've been um, highly supportive of black artists. I've been buying a lot of black art, um, posting a lot of black art, trying to at least, and man, the arts from all different standpoints, especially when it comes down to the quote-unquote protests that are going on, you know, I, I love that black artists are showing up in those spaces and taking pictures and documenting black people in those spaces and really creating the real narrative. We have to, we have to go out and create our, our own narratives. And I like to take pictures. I wouldn't consider myself a photographer per se. I know a lot of people try to call me one, but I did think about going out there and documenting so that documenting black existence out there only, honestly. Um so that our our stories are continuously told, our voices are told that we don't get drowned out by everything that's going on um out on the forefront, um and on the front lines. But music too. Music has been a way to keep us oppressed, and a lot of our own people have, you know, subscribed to white supremacy by keeping us dormant from a musical standpoint. And, and um, shout out to the different artists, the different musicians that are 
out there making music right now and and speaking to the times that we're in. Can we get into some of that music? Yeah, is that cool? Let's get into it. Shout out to little baby. I know um the littles to get a bad the the little littles they get a bad rap, but little baby, if you really listen to him, he's he's spitting some shit and um. And see, too bad that the the the, the episode. That I talked about him in his archives because I said it. You feel me? You did say it. <laughs> you did say it. I don't even know what episode you spoke of him on, but you did say little baby was was spitting that fire. And when you, and I think we played little baby on the podcast, and then I went back yep. and I started listening to little baby after that episode was recorded, and I rock with little baby. So let's get into this little baby song. It's called The Bigger Picture. Last night, people protesting in Minneapolis escalated as demonstrators were lashed by tear gas and rubber bullets. The main message here. The main message here. Message here is that they want to see those officers involved. They want to see those officers arrested. Officers arrested. Arrested. Trade my 4x4 for GC3, ain't no more freeless feet. I gave him chance, a chance, a chance again. I even told him, please. I find it crazy the police to shoot you and know that you did, but still tell you to freeze. Fucked up, I seen what I seen. I guess that mean hold him down if he say he can't breathe. It's too many mothers just grieving. They're killing us for no reason. Been going on for too long to get even. Throw us in cages like dogs and hyenas. I went to court and they sent me to prison. My mama was crushed when they said I can't leave. First, I was drunk, then I sobered up quick when I heard all that time that they gave it to Talib. He got a license plus. We just some products of our environment. How the fuck they gon' blame us? You can't fight fire with fire, I know, but at least we can turn off the flames. So every color person ain't dumb. Yo, he said we can't fight fire with fire, but at least we could turn up the flames. Some Jesus, <laughs> I'm not gonna play all the music that's out here. Um, but shout out to Texas. I'm gonna take us to Texas real quick because um, Leon Bridges made a song uh, featuring Terrace Martin which is a jazz musician that I love and producer that I love. And Leon is also dope. And um, he also created a song documenting the times that we're in. Let's get into this Leon Bridges song real quick. It's called Sweeter. Hoping for a life more sweeter Instead I'm just a story repeating Why do I feel my skin dark as night? Can't feel peace with those judging eyes. I thought we moved on from the darker days. Did the words of the king disappear in the air? Like a butterfly. Man, I played this in the whip. The bass is like, the bass got me up out of there, bro. <laughs> the bass got me out of there. Um, this is the last song I'm going to get into because it's, it's, it's completely dope to me. Um, the next song I want to get into and the last song, shout out to Buddy. Buddy has a Black 2, a song called Black 2. I'm not going to play that tonight or play that on this episode, but Buddy has a song out there. D Smoke has a song out there. But I want to get into Terrace Martin because Terrace Martin is like doing some great work. And um, who does this song feature? I know it features Kamazi Washington, but it also features other people as well. Um, 
Hold on. Yeah, Kamazi Washington, Daylight, the rapper. And if you hip the battle rap, you know who Daylight is. And uh, G Perico. And it's called Pig Feet. Let's get into it real quick. civil unrest man it's something about jazz music if you go on my personal instagram account you can find me at court cobain i'm going to have a post on there that shares um jazz albums that speak to the times that we're in right now because i've been listening to a lot of jazz um i always kind of go back to jazz around certain times especially around certain times of the year that seem a little bit more depressive or where i need to um get a little bit more expressive. I always return back to jazz, but let's talk about literature too. I created a, a small reading list for you guys because sometimes people hit me up um, that know me. Um, people also hit me up that don't personally know me when they realize that I read and they always want a reading list. So I, I created a seven book reading list for you guys um and you take it however you want to take it do whatever you want to do with it but there's so much literature that speaks to the space that we're in there's so much literature that speaks to how we could come out of it where we were before the history behind things so it's endless y'all but this is just something that I came up with okay excuse me so the first book is Asada which is an autobiography by Asada Shakur. That's currently what I'm reading myself personally. Um, another book that you guys can pick up is Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. That's also a good book um, that speaks to the times that we're in. Another book that you can pick up is They Can't Kill Us All, Ferguson, Baltimore, and A New Era in America's Racial Justice Movement by Wesley Lowry. Um, also, check out How We Get Free by Kianga Yamada Taylor. Another one is Nobody, Casualties of, of America's War on the Vulnerable from Ferguson to Flint and Beyond by Mark Lamont Hill. Another one is Making All Black Lives Matter, Reima uh, Reimagining Freedom in the 21st Century by Barbara Ransby. And this last one was recommended by one of our homies from the Zoom recording. Shout out to Joey. Um, this book title is Locking Up Our Own Crime and Punishment in Black America by James Foreman Jr. And that speaks to black officers specifically that um, 
you know, brutalized in our communities. And that's a nice little segue into a clip that all of us kind of remember. We all know what it feels like. Let me let me play this clip, man. Got any drugs or weapons on you? No. I didn't do nothing. You think you tough? I hated this motherfucker, man. You're scared now, huh? I like that. That's why I took this job. I hate little motherfuckers like you. Little niggas, you ain't shit. Think you're tough, huh? Could blow your head off with this influence and you couldn't do shit. How you feel now? What set you from? Look like one of them Crenshaw Mafia motherfuckers. No, you probably one of them rolling 60s, huh? Huh? 12 out of 63, we have a possible Yo. 187. Whoever saw that movie, Boys in the Hood, man, y'all, y'all, <laughs> bruh, everybody collectively hated that dude. No telling you. Everybody collectively hated that dude, man. And the reality is, yo, it's just like that. Yo, the black officers show up and there's no hope in seeing their faces because oftentimes they're more harmful than the white cops. They literally do the the aiding and abetting of, of white officers, man, of white supremacy, man. They're so the vicious. Time. Huh? 80, 80% of the time. Yeah, man. What what um what did Bernie say, dog? We didn't even do nothing. Well, you think you're tough. <laughs> you look so tough now, little nigga. <laughs> hate you black bastards. You stink. I hate your black skin. I hate your black pants. I hate black pepper. <laughs> I hate black keys on the piano. My gums, cause they black. I hate Whoopi Goldberg's lips. Yo. Hate the back of Forrest Whitaker's neck. <laughs> Most of all, I hate that black ass Wesley Snipes. Yo. When he said, I hate black pepper, <laughs> like, yo, that joint never gets when old. When he said man. he hate Whoopi Goldberg's lips, that way. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yo, the only wild for that too. The back of Ford with a connect. <laughs> yo, even though that was a spoof, like he was really speaking into rest something, in peace, man. Bernie like, Mac, man. huh? I said, rest in peace, Bernie Mac. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. One of my favorite comedians of all time. Um, but as far as the literature is concerned, y'all, um, it's our duty to know where we've been. You know, as far as the arts and, and literature and things of that nature, it's literally our duty to know where we've been, where we truly are currently, and all of the possibilities of where we can go in the future. And black expression, no matter the medium that we choose, is what will help us along that journey that's literally going to be our roadmap. So support it. When you see black artists out here, you know, speaking to the times that we're in, support it. When you see black cinema that comes up out of the times that we're in, support it, support it, support it. No matter the, no matter the medium, support it. Um, 
last thing I wanted to talk about, one of the last things I wanted to talk about, because we're it's getting a little bit long, um, the contribution to the movement, you know. Um, and while you um, queuing that up, I'll say, um, I'll definitely say, um, occupy all lanes. Um, do whatever you feel. If you feel like voting is it, do that. Don't be ashamed. Don't be. Don't feel burdened that you feel like you have to do something else. Do what you feel that you can do, where you feel like we can progress. If that's you, um, um, being a consumer at black-owned businesses, do that. I mean, whatever you do is okay. No. If you sure. feel like being on uh, a protest and being on the front lines. That's okay. If you feel like being an organizer, that's okay. Like, however you participate, that's okay. And don't let nobody make you feel like you're doing less than because you're not doing whatever they might feel like you should be doing. Right. Before we, you know, and you touched on something, there's there's really no right or wrong way to go about this. But on the Zoom recording, I played this clip, and I want to play it for the audio aspect of it as well. Um, and then we'll talk about it real quick. Is the sheep preaching hate when he says, I'm not going to let the wolf eat me anymore? If the wolf comes in here, next time he comes in here, I'll do whatever I have to do to keep him off my back. Is the sheep violent or is the wolf the violent one? He wasn't teaching hate. He was teaching common sense. You know, somebody's knocking you over the head, stop him. Do whatever you have to do to stop him. You know, the, the ones that were knocking him over the head were afraid of them of the fact that he might swing back. So they said, now he's teaching hate. He's violent. That was Denzel Washington. Everybody knew that. Um, but yeah, man, there's no right or wrong way to contribute to the movement. All of us have strong points. There's things that you can do. Um, even if it's literally just taking care of yourself, there is resilience in that. There's strength in black joy. Smile, laugh, live your life. You know, there's there's power in black existence. If the you know, support yourself, support people that look like you, you know, support black initiatives. Go out and protest if that's something that you want to do. I personally don't believe in that for myself. I don't feel like that's how I personally want to contribute 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 to the movement. But um a homie was like, man, I really, I asked them if they were going out there because they are an activist themselves. And they said, man, I'm not really from Philly. And because they, they reside in Philly and they were like, I'm not really from Philly and I would like to, but I'm not familiar with the area enough to, if something goes wrong, how do I safely get out of there? I'm not really familiar with the, with the terrain and I don't want to go by myself. I don't know anybody here. And I told them, I said, yo, I personally didn't decide to make that move for myself. But if, if you not going is because you don't want to go alone, yo, as another black person, I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to be there with you. So if you ever want to show up to a rally, if you ever want to show up to a protest in our, in our area and you don't have anybody that's going to go and that's the only thing that's stopping you, I'm going to be there. That's literally how we could show up for each other. You know, um, what we're doing right here is is a part, a small part of my contribution to all of this. The Zoom recordings, just holding space for each other, allowing. I'm telling you, that space was so magical, y'all. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm sad if you missed it. I'm sad if you missed it. The feedback that I got was good. Everybody loved being in there. Everybody loved seeing um, 
familiar faces without being familiar with the uh, individuals. Um, everybody loves sharing their experiences. Um, and I was told right. um, that they can't wait to the next one. So, Yeah, man. And the next one is going to be on June 25th, man. That's that's what we're going to be. We're going to get into it. But whatever, however you decide to, con- you know, contribute yourself to the movement, do what you got to do. Share on your social media platforms, you know. If it's just you smiling and living life and hanging out with your friends, share that shit too. Like, don't feel guilty. And if you're the type of person who's making people feel guilty, cut it out. They're, chill, chill with the with the with the poli- with the politics. Stop trying to police. We're we're fighting because we're tired of being policed, yo. And we really have to take up space and protection for all of us. We all gotta get on. All of us, whether that's black men, black women, black children, black elders, black people that identify in the LGBTQIA plus community, you know, black disabled individuals, black people with mental illnesses. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Any type of black person, we all have to show up for each other. We got to cut out the the uh, respectability politics. Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what stature, you know, statute that you think you stand on. Doesn't matter what tax bracket you think that you're you're dwelling in. Doesn't matter what neighborhood you live in. Doesn't matter how nice of a car you drive, how nice of a car you have, how nice of a career you, you're uh, in. Doesn't matter how much education you've obtained. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. Doesn't matter if you're straight, gay, trans. We're not free until we are free. Word. We're not free until we're all free. And when they said a change going to come, that was extremely clairvoyant. The change is here. The change cannot be more evident. But in order for us to really move this shit, in order for us to really, 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 really move this shit, we have to be on point. We have to be on point. We have to protect ourselves. We have to stop freaking subscribing to white supremacy and doing the work of white supremacy. We have to stop attacking each other. We have to stop tearing each other down. There's marginalized groups within our community that we have to be exalting. We have to be exalting black voices collectively. We have to be protecting black women. Black women have, since the beginning put blood, sweat, and tears behind all black movements, about, about behind all black experiences. Black women have been there to tell the tale of it. But you not have to, only tell the tale, not only stand in the way of, stand in front of bullets, not only yeah. caring and, and, and mothering and, and nurturing. And, and, and please, when I say it the way I'm saying it, please amplify, but carry movements. Yeah. Um, this doesn't go um unnoticed. This doesn't go unappreciated. It doesn't go um um unwanted. Um but we just got to do better um at protecting you guys. It's just <laughs> it's just that's just the bottom line. Yeah, for real. You know, so many black trans Individuals have been, they're, they're too getting killed by police. They're getting killed by everybody. 
You know, we're all getting killed. All of us are getting killed. We got to protect each other, y'all. We have to protect each other. I'm not, we didn't highlight, if you notice, we didn't really highlight any names throughout this conversation because no name is above another. No name is above another. It's and all then, black quite life. Frankly, it's just too many to name in one sense. Yeah. I mean, it would take six or seven, probably ten podcasts. Exactly. <laughs> to, to name everyone. And exactly. Then, again, those are the names that we know of. So this is not even the names right. that, that wasn't videotaped, that that didn't make it to media, that didn't make it to news, that, you know, this is, it's, again, it's horrendous. It's, it's, it's a beyond... It's beyond me, for sure, but it's just beyond explaining. It's beyond, it's, it's just no words. There's it's no, it's no way you can explain what's been happening. No, and it and like you said, it would be an injustice to highlight certain names and not highlight. There's so many names we don't even know of. But the reality is it's the existence. It doesn't matter if you're a black child with a toy gun in the park. It doesn't matter if you're a black person in the Walmart with a BB gun. It doesn't matter if you're a black person running away from police. It doesn't matter if you're sleeping in your bed, whether you're a child or a woman. It doesn't matter if you are eating ice cream in your crib after long days of work. It doesn't matter if you are called, you know, the police are called on you for a fucking counterfeit $20 bill. I had a counterfeit $50 bill. Shit, it doesn't matter. I didn't even know. You're in the house it, it, kicking it with with a family member, and you hear someone in your yard, and you go inspect exactly um, the window to see who it is, and you're shot in your it own It doesn't home, matter. It doesn't matter. To see, in, inspecting your yard to see who's in your yard. <laughs> Word. Word. I mean, it's like there's so many different instances. There's just so many that it, it doesn't matter. It's, it, the, it, the only commonality of all of it is it was black existence that was taken, period. So we have to be vigilant, y'all. We have to stop being easily impressed by these lackluster, empty gestures that the only goal is to keep us silent and get back to business as usual. Um, we have to stop allowing our black pain. With them. Huh? Keep us being consumers of their, yeah, of their agenda. Right. We have to be mindful of where we are. If you are going to contribute economically, be mindful of where your money is going. And the reason why I didn't say where I'm contributing money is because I'm contributing money on a local level. All of us have black organizations or initiative initiatives or black grassroots organizations that are doing great work. Do your research. I don't really know about giving money to the Black Lives Matter movement. I don't really know how I feel about that for myself personally. They've gotten millions of dollars. They have a billionaire behind it. Not really going to go into all of that. Do your research on George Soros. See what the agenda is. I'm just saying there's other ways to go about that. There's other ways to go about that. If you're going to buy a shirt that has a black quote on it or a catchphrase on it, make sure it's from a black person. That's all I'm saying. There's a lot of white people out here profiting off of our pain, yo. And that shit ain't cool. And it's not right. And we're not rocking with that. 
You know what I'm saying? So, listen, we just got we got to tighten up. Um, before we close out this episode, I wanted to read a passage from the book Asada that I put on the reading list for you all. The book opens up with an affirmation that I think is powerful, so I wanted to read it to you all. And it starts off as, I believe in living. I believe in the spectrum of beta days and gamma people. I believe in sunshine and windmills and waterfalls, tricycles and rocking chairs. And I believe that seeds grow into sprouts and sprouts grow into trees. I believe in the magic of the hands and in the wisdom of the eyes. I believe in rain and tears and in the blood of infinity. I believe in life and I have seen the death parade march through the torso of the earth, sculpting mud bodies in its path. I have seen the destruction of the daylight and seen bloodthirsty maggots prayed to and saluted. I have seen the kind become the blind and the blind become the blind in one easy lesson. I have walked on cut glass. I have eaten crow and blunder bread and breathed the stench of indifference. I have been locked by the lawless, handcuffed by the haters, gagged by the greedy. And if I know anything at all, is that a wall is just a wall and nothing more at all. It can be broken down. I believe in living. I believe in birth. I believe in the sweat of love and in the fire of truth. And I believe that a lost ship, and I believe that a lost ship steered by tired, seasick sailors can still be guided home to port. And that's from Asada, an auto an autobiography of Asada Shakur. We about to close this episode out. Um, Brandon, do you want to add anything else to the convo? Uh, not anything. Uh, I do want to just uh, offer my apologies. We um, we didn't plan on running this long, um, but it was just so much to talk about. Um, and we tend to try to let our conversations flow um, naturally. So, you know... Um, if you lasted this long, if you took a break, um, I appreciate you. If you um, you um, listen to it in segments, I appreciate you. And uh, just do us a favor and share, um, share, and share. Word, word. Yeah, we didn't we didn't mean to run this long. Normally, we try to <laughs> we literally try to target ninety minutes to two hours. But the reality is, like, we didn't want to um, put out this content. We didn't want to put out this episode without really feeling good about it in our spirit. You know, um, we didn't want to give it out to the world if we weren't proud of it ourselves. And I think that this conversation, from what we talked about on this podcast thus far, I'm completely proud of. So with that being said, we're going to close this episode out. We hope that you were all able to take something away from this discussion so that you can move forward to evoke change in whatever way you can. For episode two, we're going to discuss the reconstruction of the Black family, which is somewhat of an ode to Father's Day. The virtual recording of that po- that episode, that podcast episode, will be held on June 25th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time via Zoom. 
Um, we hope to see you there. But if not, it will be available shortly after on all streaming platforms. As far as staying connected with us, be sure to visit our website at www.blk is the new blk.com. Um, that's black is the new black, but you spell black as blk. So once again, that's www.blk is the new blk.com. You can stream the most recent episode of the podcast through the website. Eventually, we'll have merchandise for you all to purchase, and you can contact us directly through the site if you wish to get in touch with us for any reason, whether it's to just say hello, give us feedback, or if you would like to be featured on the podcast. Um, We're on all social media platforms. You can find us on both IG and Twitter, or Instagram and Twitter at Black's The New Black, and you spell that as B-L-K-S, The New B-L-K. Once again, that is Black's The New Black, and that is B-L-K-S, as in Sam, uh, The New B-L-K. And we're on Facebook as well. Just type in Black is The New Black, and we should appear. If you guys are listening to us via Apple Podcast or iTunes, please drop us a review. It allows the podcast to gain more traction so that we can be heard by more people. So if you love us, drop us that five-star review, please. Also, like Brandon says, share the podcast, y'all. Please. Please spread the love by letting people know about us. We promise we won't become watered down once we gain more attention. So it's safe to give us to the world in whatever way you can. And that is by sharing us. Share us to your friends, your family members, people you think that can take away from these discussions that we have on the podcast. Please share the podcast, please. As far as our guest um, of the episode, thank you, Katora, for coming on and sharing your knowledge and expertise with us all. You already know my take on your level of brilliance and your determination to see all black people thrive and excel. You're beyond appreciated and the work that you're doing doesn't go unnoticed. As far as where you can find Katora, be sure to check out our social media platforms for ways to follow her. We're going to have her tagged in everything that's pertinent to this episode. She's literally going to be tagged on everything that's pertinent to episode one. Please follow her. Please love on her. Please give her some support. Please. She's doing great work for us. Great, phenomenal work for us. And she's getting shit done and she's shaking shit up. And she's beautiful. And she's black. And she's black. And she's black, man. She's not, she doesn't have the activated coon chip. (laughs) (laughs) Yo. That's that's the other reason why we, um, we had to do this episode justice because... Um, we couldn't have a guest on of that stature and then drop the ball when it came to, you know, um, our contribution to the segment. Word. And just like she said, y'all got to take more initiative. What did, what did, uh, Dave Chappelle say? Every black dude in this room is a qualified paralegal and shit. He knows a lot. If one of us even start to do something wrong, an old black man would pop out of nowhere. Nigga, don't do that. That's five to ten. <laughs> Watch out. No lie. <laughs> Shout out to Dave Chappelle. He has a new uh, special that I'm gonna I'm gonna probably watch that um, soon. But yeah, man, take initiative, self accountability, self self awareness. Do your research. Know the law. You know, bear arms. 
learn how to, you know, lick off a shot. Do all of that, man. All of that. Um, but yeah. Alright, guys. You you guys are hip to it. If you're not hip to it, we always close out each episode to a song that speaks to the topic at hand. So we're gonna close out this episode to Mick Jenkins, Carefree. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you guys lasted to the end, we appreciate y'all. If you didn't and you had to, you know, take a break, that's cool too. For all of the new listeners, shout out to y'all. Welcome to the day ones. Yo, we love y'all. Where the claps at? Where the freaking claps at? We love y'all. Thank y'all for the support. Um, Thank you for tuning in. Stay blessed. Remain vigilant and unapologetic in your blackness. Also, guys, please remember to be gentle and patient with yourselves in the times that we're in right now, especially. And yo, check up on your homies and your loved ones, yo. White supremacy is just like COVID, man. COVID is still out there, y'all. So be be safe. Be mindful. Um, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And and um, we're here if you guys if you guys need us for any reason. And yeah, man, we out of here. We'll see you guys on episode two. Peace out. Peace. I was off the drugs, I was off the drinks, I was off the vibes Got nothing to hide, I'm with the squad, don't make me throw it up She by my side, we gonna fight, that shit is not It just don't look like this If you live in carefree, then you probably don't look like us Damn nigga, let me cook right quick On the beach, couple niggas, we was cool and it's just about dust Shawty never smoked kush like this I'm fast, music playing, grinding on me You know I had to push right back Reflex, respect, no suspect Shit came late, goofy niggas miss the sunset We ain't even give a fuck Got the backwards though, drop those Niggas would've been upset Only hit it two times Cause I know that the paper is more of a speed She can fuck with And I like that shit, she don't duck shit But we was cool and I said we didn't want smoke So when the cops popped up, it was pop smoke Niggas proceeded to get on that fuck shit I'm worried about dying for speaking my mind They keep on calling it tough shit They ain't do too much just rough shit, whole time that really is way too much shit Playing that shit right is some tough shit And they know just which one to fuck with It's just some shit we stuck with We was off the drugs, we was off the drinks, we was off the vibes Got nothing to hide on with the squad, don't make me throw it up She by my side, we gonna fight, we ride or die Damn nigga, let me breathe, damn nigga, let me cook Damn family, give me space, so quick to shoot, no Devin book Look me in my face, can't play it straight These niggas crooks, they play a hate I'm on my shit, pull me over about my whip Like how you get it, bitch, I bought it Took my ticket for the tents That might not seem too intense But I ain't with this in two months The first day back, they on some shit I can't let them steal my joy See what my niggas is fucking with Heard the whole squad at the beach Guessing we'll pull up and shit We be off the drugs, we be off the drink We be off the vibes Got nothing to hide, be with the squad Don't make me throw it up by my side, we gonna fight. This shit is not. Yeah. We was off the drugs, we was off the drinks, we was off the vibe. Got nothing to hide on with the squad, don't make me throw it up. She by my side, we gonna fight, we ride or die. Damn, nigga, let me breathe. Damn, nigga, let me cook. Damn, nigga, give me space. Damn, nigga, let me breathe. Damn, nigga, let me cook. Damn, Fanny, give me space. Put the shoe.